This episode is brought to you by the fine folks at NordVPN. Take advantage of a special holiday season deal for LazerTime listeners only. Go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime and use the code lasertime to get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan, plus a bonus gift. The hand that rocks the Lifetime movie, celebrity wife swapping, and MTV's best movie? We'll find out this week on 302010. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a journey across three decades of movies, TV, video games, music, and so very much more. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, and we also have my co-host... Uh, Diana Goodman, I am podcasting from prison because Betty White died, and as promised, I flipped a car, and <laughs> the police inside were not that happy about it, but they were very understanding. They said that's been happening a lot lately. <laughs> and uh, on that note, joining us for the first time ever, 302010 new host, who we got? Uh, JR, look, do you want a happy God or a vengeful God <laughs> role? <laughs> I understood that reference. Welcome, JR. You uh, guest hosted on an episode last year, and when Sarah decided to take a, a breather, the sabbatical, I'm not I don't even know if she's coming back. She just, she works full time at another job, is going back to school. This was getting to be a little much for her. I get it. She just mm-hmm. said, she texted me right before we started, hello from my depression nest. Have a good show. <laughs> <laughs> I had, we had such a great time with you uh, on the guest stint you did. We asked JR to come aboard uh, full time. Where would people maybe know you from? Talking, ter- ter- talking Terrific Television. I'm not drunk. It's just coffee. <laughs> they might know me from Talking Terrific Television. I also uh, wrote and produced the film Dark Dungeons, the movie. Of course, I'm big on the Laser Time uh, group, so they might know me from there. Yeah, I always say about Jr. to people who aren't him. So I should probably give you more compliments in person. I like. I don't know how to say it, but like, I like his vibe. The way you think about things are like, I think, are wonderful additions to the show. Because I don't know why I thought it, we, we we were watching. It's a wonderful life, and you posted like a uh, Clarence hold- uh, that it's been the greater amount of time from when It's a Wonderful Life was released to now than it was from the publication of. The Adventures of Huck Finn to It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> which is mentioned in It's a Wonderful Life. It's, and it's held the, by Clarence the Angel. It's like his favorite mm-hmm. book. Yeah, it's mentioned three separate times, uh, but we're further away from it than it was to uh, Huck Finn. So, so I was I watching. That was fascinating. I was watching th- that movie with like four people. I'm like, really? Is that the best book you recently read? And then you post it. Like, yeah, maybe it was. It wasn't as old a book as as the movie yeah. we're watching. I love the way JR's brain works, and I can't wait to bring a little of that to the show. And then I asked him, like, you know, the only thing we're the big thing we're losing with Sarah is like an authoritative take on shitty romantic comedies. <laughs> so, and then he, I feel like populism. You know, she likes things. It's like I know this isn't good, but I enjoyed it. So shut up. Yeah. Uh, well, to provide some context for me, do you guys remember when ringtones were becoming super popular? Yes. Yeah. So I got a whole bunch of ringtones. I was showing off my phone to this one girl and she looks at them and she goes, so these are ringtones and they sing when you call. And I say, yes. Okay. But why are all the songs sucky? And the reason all the songs were sucky was because they were songs that I chose. So I guarantee our audience, <laughs> I enjoy a lot of crap, people. I promise you. 
Oh, welcome aboard, JR. It is great to have you. See, it was um, tough. We need either needed someone who liked a lot of popular crap or someone who's 25 so I can scream at them. What do you mean you've never seen Unforgiven? <laughs> and Diana, uh, you're, are, you're not that worried about the gender dynamics? You, you mentioned something before coming in. Now you got your. Uh, That's true. I know. I'm outnumbered. Machismo again. is back. But um, I'm, I'm used to this, man. Right. <laughs> it just means I have to be like twice as bitchy. Okay. <laughs> so. I'll do my best as yeah. well. I know. I, l- Here we go. Lord knows I have some terrible specific opinions on <laughs> films, especially this week. Um, but that 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 about does it for our intro. I want to thank all of our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Right now, without my help, having been very hungover today, Michael, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Raparez, and Maddie Allen are preparing a 30-20-10s game without me. I, I don't know that they've ever done that before. But they are hard at work on that, and we'll be recording that right after this. So if you want to hear more about the games of this period, patreon.com slash laser time. Let's get into 302010, which is a journey across three decades. And it's official, people. It's it's the twos. Woo! <laughs> Woo! At all time. There's no more 1991, 2001, or 2011 to talk about. We are in the twos. And I, there's something. I always mark my cultural awakening around Jurassic Park, but there's a infancy of taste in my head happening in 1992 as I'm looking at these movies. So I'm very, very happy about that. Hmm. And, I'd uh, say I became awake T2, but then hmm. like super invested by Jurassic Park. Yeah. You know, that's when I was really like aware, aware. Hmm. Like I See, was, and I'm an I'm an old fogey, so I've I've been hip for like a couple of years now, even though I was a teenager. Yeah, just, like I, barely a teenager. I just uh, we I didn't we grew up in a kind of a small town, and I had more control over say the TV, but like my hmm. dad sat me down and made me watch Terminator One, so he could take me to Terminator Two. Whereas like I had no control over what movie I could go see. I could occasionally beg and beg and beg, but my parents were taking me to see most of those movies. I would beg to see anyway. Because they were nice people. But 1992 was just a very special year. And as we said, people have been more eloquent about it is like either the beginning of the 90s or the end of the 80s. And the first movie oh, yeah. on the list oh, like yeah. is is like filled with those vibes. The cuspy part of the decade. Before we get into that, get into a little news of 1992, January 7th to the 13th. All 92. Here we go, people. Buckle in. President George H.W. Bush bars on a Japanese prime minister, which... I like there. It, it was very rare that a news story could uh, uh, please the adults and the children in the room, and this was one of the, <laughs> oh my god, the president barfed with the Japanese prime minister. <laughs> the thing I most remember about this incident at the time was the Saturday Night Live sketch yes. where they're parodying <laughs> JFK, yep. and they keep rewinding the barf click back and to the left. Back and to the left, <laughs> and you see the vomit go back and to the left. Shoot and up in Carvey's mouth. <laughs> oh. uh, but I was uh, teaching in Japan in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. and even then, the kids used to use the phrase "bushu suru," which Uh-oh. means to do the bush thing. It's still <laughs> slang for throwing up that they thought was hilarious and these kids must have been like three or four when it actually happened wow still like in use at the junior high that i taught at whoa i'm going to i'm bringing that to america then do the 30 years later we're gonna do bushisudo oh yeah i I mean knowing what little i know about japanese culture yeah they'd be mortified to barf in public (laughs) and that would be the worst thing that could ever happen not just barf, but uh, I mean, he basically barfs and faints simultaneously, <laughs> hitting the prime minister's lap on his way down. Mm-hmm. And 
and then he starts to come up he looks absolutely ashen and barb is like holding a napkin over his face while he's still barfing and it looked like he was fucking dead <laughs> wow there there were rumors but, at the time and they yeah. quickly got brushed away but you could totally see if now, uh, that had happened in the now the 24-hour news cycle would be like he's dead right he's dead everyone agrees he's dead yeah. but yeah <laughs> it just it was terrifying but no it was just it was just plain old stomach flu he was in a press conference the next night yeah. they, they propped him back up yeah. and he, he seemed to be okay i i hope as the years move on in japan this is all that's left of either Bush's legacy. Like, like, <laughs> that's all the like, only thing kids know about that entire legacy. Wonderful. And then a new story I think I should have picked up at the end of last year, but like a, a bigger wide release, Apple has given the world QuickTime. And Ooh. I I huh. didn't really know what that meant because I don't remember QuickTime obviously becoming a thing until the about 10 years from now, when I get broadband internet, I'm like, oh, it's the prettiest way to watch trailers it is, but you can't embed it anywhere for a long, long time. But I'm not a, I'm not a Mac user. Do you still have QuickTime installed on... Is that how files open on a Mac to this day? Yeah, really? But, I mean, I still have it, and I still have older versions of it, because I can use those to rip other video easy easy die advocating yeah. piracy on this show pirate everything no. kids for personal use only non-commercial applications <laughs> but yeah I, I found once not unlike the dictionary definitions from last week I, this happened w well before i would have thought it did but apple yeah. was on the done wanting to create a multimedia interface a standard and they yeah. they, they did I remember videos in 1992, though. They were postage stamp, mm -hmm. 140p, five frames a second, and I was amazed by that. It blew mm -hmm. me away. Yeah. I remember I remember showing my babysitter the four videos on our first CD-ROM in Carta, and there were four, <laughs> I forget what, the, but I one was the Hindenburg, one was Jimi Hendrix playing a riff this big, and like, there's video in a room where there's no TV, this is nuts, <laughs> nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that, but yeah, happy birthday, QuickTime, uh, you might have downloaded it 30 years ago this week. 30 years ago this week, you got it on several discs, yeah. floppy discs. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Who was downloading anything? No, uh, no downloading. You got a box of discs, and you better put them in in the right order, man. That's a safe inner, but but 1992 movies, movies of 1992, a movie I decided to finally watch because I thought, like, have I seen this or have I avoided it my entire life and thought things about it? And and part of that was correct. I I've seen this box my entire life in the video stores and on the on posters and video stores and ignored the hell out of it. I think, and it wasn't exactly what I thought. Ashley Judd in her debut film, Mary Ellen Trainer, Leon Rippey, which is a goddamn great name, George De La Pena, Troy Evans, Bruce, Bruce Boxleitner, Tony Goldwyn, Mila Jovovich, Mila, and Christian Slater in the movie Cuffs. Have you seen Cuffs? Cuffs a million years ago, Cuffs I saw Cuffs. is the, the Ferris it's Bueller cop movie nobody asked for. My I wife. thought of Ferris Bueller because I just feel like so this is um like Beverly Hills Cop but not as fun. Dude, they have a score in here that is like very working. It's the same guy. It's the oh, same is guy. It? It's Faltemeyer. working very yeah. hard to rip off the actual Foley theme because the rest of the soundtrack is gloriously terrible. Sounds like again, it's 
80s and 90s, you can hear like Boys to Many stuff and a Poison song. And the all the score sounds like it's from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Orchestra. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, I had a great time with it, but I, I didn't know about the, the special precinct thing. Is that real, Diana? Is that something you might know about? Uh- Apparently that's real. But JR, what were you going to say about Mrs. Rawls? Uh, my <laughs> wife had the biggest crush on Christian Slater growing up. Mm-hmm. So I she is of a generation. Her, we all did. Yeah. I convinced her to watch this with me and we could not get through it. I mean, <laughs> it, it tried to be a cop Ferris Bueller and I think it failed miserably. It's too not funny, mm-hmm. too not action-y. And every character is kind of like not enjoyable to be around while at the same time not being interesting for me to learn more about. And do you know how old Mila Jovovich that's, was? That's an, that's what I, when oh. I read her name again, like this is really early for her to be popping up. And it's just that she's established in the opening, like I never graduated high school. She's in college. And how old is she when she was in this movie? 15. 15. <gasps> 15. And And she is filmed sexy. It is clearly a sexy lady that we are supposed to be watching. I was taken aback. But, you know, she does look older than 50. She's very tall. I would never have guessed she was 15. And I'll turn myself into the FBI. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because I was like, wait, is this her debut? No, that was like Return to Blue Lagoon. But this is, yeah, she's she's coming out of modeling. Mm -hmm. But... Oh, but what what, what we are <laughs> what, the other thing we're seeing in addition to uh, to something action, legally actionable is the the first Christian Slater vehicle. So mm-hmm. I think they saw what he did and pump up the volumes and Heather's and um, Bruce Evans like wrote and directed a movie specifically for him. And it mm-hmm. isn't quite a cop movie, but it is. It's so weird. I don't know how much of this is true. Basically, there are special precincts in San Francisco that are owned by the police, and his brother is gunned down by gangsters, and he inherits his job as the owner of the district police department. Yeah, I looked into this, and it is a thing. It's literally a carryover from the gold rush, where you you can wow. become... Either through getting hired to do it or, or at literally like buying the franchise to be sanctioned by the cops as kind of a, as like a civilian security guard. But you have a tiny bit of law enforcement juice, but you're not a cop. What? And I guess that's still a thing. <laughs> I have never seen this in action. I've lived Me- in San Francisco for. I was there uh, over a dozen years. 25 years. This is so. the first I've heard of it. Yeah, I've never heard anything like this. And, but yeah. uh, but apparently it's a real thing. I was shocked and baffled. And this movie is very try-hard and sometimes mm-hmm. very delightful, but a lot of times kind of boring. And I almost and, wish Christian yeah. Slater talked to the camera more. <laughs> I think they should have either really leaned into that yeah. or not had it at all. It wasn't yeah. enough of that to make it really engaging to me. But... To me, this is really the attempt of Christian Slater to become a big star. Mm -hmm. It did not work. Uh, Mm -hmm. But somewhere out there, there's a multiverse where he does a different film. And I think he could have been a big star if if the dice would have rolled a little differently. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. where we are now, I fucking love the guy. I really do. Uh, Love Christian Slater. You know, but he was was very much kind of in the teen idol camp so i can see him being pushed to the start it'd be like you know how people of my generation treated zach efron before we found out eh, he can be funny he can or be brad good. pitt or brad pitt from the previous yeah. generation yeah just a pretty boy makes big movie and yeah i've just i've avoided this for so long however it did have one of those scenes 
that I remembered and didn't know what movie to attribute it to. And there's, I think a, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of semi-controversy around this movie's PG-13 rating. One of the more interesting ones being this, had, this movie had a black and white poster with the main character holding a handgun. Uh, the movie Juice had the exact same poster, but mm. one of the one he, that poster had Tupac Shakur holding the gun, not Christian Slater. So it was demanded that they airbrush the gun out. And that movie, despite fewer deaths, got an R rating. And this movie got a PG thirteen. And hmm. Watchdog groups are like, this movie's actually pretty violent. And like, they're right. This movie is written to be PG thirteen, knowing full well violence may not land you an R rating. It's them titties and cursing. That'll get, that'll get you the R rating. And the movie's pretty violent. The body count is pretty high. And there are a lot of bullets sprayed with report. And it's it's surprisingly violent. And in this scene in particular, if you didn't know what movie it was from, was written specifically to mock the PG-13 rating. Diana, what, a PG-13 movie can get you non-sexual nudity and the F word mm-hmm. how many times? Usually one. Yes. They have appealed. There's a couple movies to pull it twice. Yeah. So you, the rule of thumb is you get it once. And yeah. so there's this scene out of nowhere where this uh, uh, the guy training Christian Slater to be a cop just starts cursing his ass off. And listen to this. Are you trying to kill me? What are you so angry about? All I wanted to do was follow the Did guy. Did you see a crime being committed? Did you see a crime being committed? If we follow him, we will see a crime being committed. You are a patrol special. You don't go looking for a crime. If you happen to see a crime being committed, then you can take action. Otherwise, your job is to service those people who are stupid enough to hire you to protect them. Now, if I'm going to get killed on this job, it's going to be by a bullet, not by a bus. Now, turn this car around and let's get back on your patrol. You have a limited vocabulary, Ted. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) So until that final F-bomb, I thought I had maybe been watching a television edit cut of this film. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's... It still feels bizarre in this day and age to, when those bleeps come in. Like, wait, whoa, 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 what's happening? Did my file screw up? I mean, my legitimately rented version of Cuffs that I, I got on Amazon Prime for three ninety nine. Uh, this isn't streaming for free anywhere, so you gotta you gotta yeah. pay for Cuffs. And I'm not, yeah. and I don't think we're you recommending shouldn't. that you do. No, don't do that. <laughs> it's not a recommend for me nah. or my wife. Uh, it was just nah. I was just settling the curiosity. What is this? Is it a cop movie? Is it a teeny bopper movie? And it's kind of both. And then we have number one at the box office this week. Uh, now, let's talk about something that should not be as good as it is. Like, yeah. Cuffs, there's a way it could have been elevated material. And it would end up being, like, watchable, even though you know it's not good. Now oh. we have something that is trash. <laughs> that is so <laughs> elevated that it is beloved now. Yeah, Madeline Zima, uh, John DeLancey. Lance? Oh no, Q is here. Yes, it's Q, right? Um, <laughs> and he's evil. It's Q. It's, it's Q. Evil Q. Evil Q. With with does he, he has no lines, does he? No, he has some lines. Okay. Very creepy lines. He's All creepy. right, uh, Julian. He's a bad guy. Julian Moore, Ernie Hudson, uh, Matt McCoy, Rebecca De Mornay, and Annabella Sciorra. It's number one at the box office this week, and it's the hand that rocks the cradle. From Hollywood Pictures, the loss of her husband, her family. <laughs> She blames it all on Claire. I I was coming about the nanny position. Now all she feels is rage. You don't know what she's capable of. All she wants is revenge. (gasps) You're tearing this family apart. What goes around comes around. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Rated R. 
this is the most expensive lifetime movie of all time, right? <laughs> That's what we're watching. Maybe, maybe Halle Berry's losing Isaiah. It's too obscure. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, we do have a single white female, I think, the same year. So yes. honestly, Fatal Attraction was a big hit a couple of years ago. And so now we're going to have a bunch of stalker movies. Yeah. And I was... think this might be the best of the bunch because, like I said, this is a lifetime movie that is elevated just by everyone's efforts. Like they take it so seriously and they commit so hard and it's got a great fucking pedigree. I mean, besides it, it's directed by Curtis Hansen who did LA confidential. Yeah. It's like a super early work of his. Yeah. It's, it's pretty early and it's written by the folks that ended up, Chris, you're going to love this rebooting planet of the apes. It's written by rise of the planet of the apes. folks. Yeah. It was like a a woman who rebooted planet of the apes. I I didn't know that until looking into this. Yeah. Amanda silver. Yeah. We have people, they have talent and they just kind of get stuck here. I think this was like her film school project to write the script. Wow. And she does a great job because it's like lots of twisty, turny things, kind of like we talked about in Cape Fear of someone getting into someone's life and ruining it with all this like plausible deniability the whole time. Like, no, what are you talking about? I didn't do that. No, you can't prove a damn thing. <laughs> I liked how they never explained her plan. I liked how they mm-hmm. made us, the audience, just watch and go, oh, you're not just out for vengeance now. Mm-hmm. You're out to really take over this woman's life, every aspect of it. The acting, everyone's doing their best. Uh, Ernie Hudson here, mm, he's okay. going full Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> and <laughs> he is doing as best you can with that material, I think. I, I yeah. it, it, that was my own, my only real critique on that performance is that like nobody who you're playing would ever have that voice. If mm. you're playing a mentally challenged character, you don't talk like this. <laughs> you t- usually, yeah. usually not in a deep, smooth way. <laughs> that's that's, that's true. He's not, pretty smooth. Pretty so yeah, it's a nanny from hell. Is is the thing? Is that Annabella Shiora gets molested by her obstetrician? And then, you know, again, I went to this movie super cold. So like I was like just sitting down with my salad. Like, what the fuck? That's like right off the bat. This woman. (laughs) Yeah. And they do it. I think it's very like tastefully done. It's it's subtle. And we see it's like it's not like she's getting, you know, it is what he does is so it's creepy. Mm -hmm. And it's enough to be like, yeah, that is completely wrong. You don't do that. And And that is cute. And it's cute. And he, he like gets outed and, you know, the cops are after him. So he kills himself and his wife, who it turns out never actually has a, a real name in this movie, mm. played by Re- Rebecca de Mornay. Her husband dies. She was pregnant. She loses the baby. And she decides, like, Annabella Shiora, you, really, you stole my life. I'm going to steal yours. Right. So I will have I will steal your baby. I will see your husband. Elaborate. I will make this you mo- think you're going crazy. This movie is entertaining as fuck. And it's like, you know, you know, almost everything that's going to happen. But I thought, no the way they do it, I think, is pretty clever. Like that, she tells the husband, "Like, oh, you should have a surprise party for your wife." So he's off being secretive, like with his f- female friend. Yeah, but he's being so stupid there. He is like holding this <laughs> surprise party as this like incredible thing that he has to protect at any cost. And how long does it take to plan a surprise party? It should be like a phone call. But he's like meeting multiple nights to plan a daytime surprise party <laughs> i mean what what do you need to plan for that it's like should i invite this person yeah okay we're done we don't have to keep meeting at night in this sexy <laughs> bar smoking our cigarettes with each other and just uh, like the extra creepy thing that's t- that turns out like she's been breastfeeding the baby this whole time yeah, and so so so, so and the creepiest breastfeeding would, scene in all of cinema is 
is done really spooky. And then when like Annabella Shiora is like, oh, well, the baby needs to eat. Oh, my God. What's wrong with my baby? Oh, my baby is rejecting me. Like, oh, that's just creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Rebecca de Mornay is so good as just such a calm psycho. And then every now and then she'll just like go in the bathroom and start punching shit. And you're like, whoa. Oh shit! And I, I, I was didn't didn't I record a show with you, Jr. about Sopranos, Pine Barrens? Yes. And I'm always forgetting mm-hmm. that episode. It opens up with Tony's girlfriend Gloria, played by Annabella mm-hmm. Sciorra, who you know it's 1992. I guess in some parallel universe, my 11 year old ass wasn't paying attention. She's like this movie star, and I don't know her from anything other than Sopranos. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. What? What was the? I, I don't know it. Mr. Weinstein. Oh, yep. right. Yeah. Right. So in October of 2007, uh, she leveled accusations of rape against him, mm-hmm. and it was published in the New Yorker, and it was a big part of the conviction because after her, a bunch of other witnesses came forward. So. Yeah. She, she testified against him on the stand. Uh, yeah. It was, did I forget it was this? I, did I ever know this? I'm. I. I don't know. Maybe I forgot this. I didn't know it was something that that nefarious oh yeah well i mean it was she was an up-and-comer and doing really well in indie movies and you know he kept bothering her and bothering her and then uh came over to her apartment and attacked her and then when she was like i'm gonna go to the cops i'm gonna do this like well i'll ruin your career and then he did he screwed it all up yeah there are a lot of movies she could have gotten those parts and he was like nope yeah looking at her imdb i'm like wow there's all these leading lady parts that like you know, a lot of it's romantic comedies and stuff like hand, like any that rocks the cradle. But like, yeah, she wasn't in my orbit other than playing Gloria on the which is now triggering for me for a whole different reason. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> very happy to be single now. But yeah, I just wanted to bring up that connection because yeah, was, no, this yeah. is right when she's she's a real up and comer. We just we talked about her in Jungle Fever. I think was the I, last. I recorded movie. with Jr. I think four yeah. times, and half the times we've talked about something with Annabella Skiora in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like her. She's right. real good. A uh, couple of minor nitpicks I have with this film is well. no one in this <laughs> film has ever used an asthma inhaler. Okay, <laughs> I, I use asthma, but I don't spray it in my mouth like a, a breath stick, okay? Which is how they think it works. It, it's not like that. You suck on it for dear life because you're trying to breathe. And uh, when Rebecca went up to a six-year-old and mm-hmm. said, I'll rip your fucking head off <laughs> in front of a crowd of other six-year-olds, that shit would spread, okay? Yeah. That type of stuff would get around the school ground pretty darn quickly, but it's just a Maybe bit of a, the point. Well, I showed that six-year-old. Was it, but this, this might have been at a point where he, uh, we're not believing kids, are we? Uh, <laughs> oh, no. No, we're totally not believing kids. But this is like 20 kids yeah. all seeing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably it's probably the only F word they've heard all week. They're not going to forget that that series of events. And then and I, I still, again, the most traumatizing it. scene is her getting caught by Ernie Hudson breastfeeding a baby that isn't hers, mm. and then walks up to them with a full R word. And like Jesus Christ, this movie goes places. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. she frames him for child yeah. abuse. It's, she like hides kids' underwear with his stuff. It's like, so cruel. Damn, dude. Yeah. It is, which it, he kind of gets a slap on the wrist for. I mean, mm. they, this family thinks he's doing inappropriate things with their child, and his only punishment is that he's not working there anymore. And they give him the bike as a parting gift. back later on before they really told him, and they know that he's innocent of that. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, don't don't, uh, don't look yeah. for justice in these types of movies, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, well, no. Well, look, some bitch getting impaled. Yes. That's guaranteed. Yes. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, and it's another one of these where I go back and I read like the Roger Ebert review and he's like, gosh, this Julianne Moore lady, she's really good. Yeah, Every this, scene she's in, I quite enjoyed. Who's this redheaded lass uh, in the yeah. background? Bringing I'd all like the to cigarettes. see her be in other things. But, uh, Maybe he, she could fight dinosaurs. Who knows? <laughs> in the doldrums of January releases across three decades, rewatching stuff. I had the most fun with the hand that rocks the cradle this week. Hell yeah. Uh, it's yeah. how it's how you do this type of movie. Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah, these have kind of become lifetime fair at this point because they're yeah. I think not not because because they're fun concepts and cheap to shoot. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. the, the most expensive part of this shoot looks to be whatever house they rented, which is why it's giant. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Hand That Rocks the Cradle is coming in as a pretty soft recommend. No, nah, no, fuck. It, it's so much fun. But yeah. But TV this week is, oh my God, bouncing back. TV is back this week. Um, 1992, January 7th to the 13th in television. Did we just have a record for the lowest scoring game or the, the biggest had, blowout? The, we just had the record for the most for the biggest blowout, which okay. then got to change. It, it uh, finally just got beaten in 2021. Right. But we have a record that has multiple records attached to this game that still stand to this day. The whole game has its own Wikipedia entry because it is so insane. The highest scoring NCAA basketball game of all time. Troy State 258, DeVry of Atlanta 141. Damn! Whoa. A good NBA game might hit 100. How do you hit 250 points? Two at a time, mind you. And the other guys still also get 141. So that's one of the records. Highest combined score. Was it like wrestling? Did someone kidnap the ref? Were they playing the Washington Generals? What? (laughs) (laughs) We're using a freaking ladder. But even the Washington Generals did really well this time. (laughs) So, Yeah. The stats on it are, are pretty insane. Where it's like every, like every single player got forty points. It's just weird. Wow, yeah. that is incredible. A little less incredible, I believe. We're right smack dab in the middle of the Gunsmoke television movies. Things <laughs> yep. we're not required to care about on this show. Yeah. Gun, there Smoke. were five of them. Yeah. The reason I wanted to bring it up is because when the Simpsons hit around season 15 mm-hmm. there i remember reading these articles saying yes there's a lot of episodes of the simpsons but it's never gonna pass never gun pass gun smoke which mm-hmm. which was like an hour-long drama that went o- over 20, 20 years, 20 years? Over yeah 20 years it started in black and white at a half an hour wow and then it evolved over time to color and then color for an hour and uh it had the longest record for prime time scripted until the simpsons mm-hmm. uh, in september of 2019 so yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Gunsmoke, it's so weird. I think having that many shows as a drama makes it difficult to rerun. <laughs> There's just so much story you need to catch up on. Yeah. Maybe you don't want to do it in black and white. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're not each one completely self-contained, but they're mostly self-contained. Yeah, and it's been off the air for, you know, a little over 15 years now, 16, 17 years. And I just, I remember reading so about they, it one time. You know, they bring them back as, as TV movies. I think that's a good way to go. Me Instead too. of like bringing a show back and having it, just not be able to sustain itself like yeah let's start bringing back classic shows as just tv movies that'd be great i mean having just enjoyed the hell out of that reno 911 QAnon movie please that's a really good vessel for that been meaning to see that so do you know who the last person to be killed on the gunsmoke television was i don't gary Busey. Whoa! <laughs> what an honor! Yeah, yeah. Re- reading about a gunsmoke, it was on the air for so long. Its leads popped in and out like Law and Order style. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know who the lead is in this, but if you Google it, he looks hilarious, and it just has this vibe of like 
this guy wouldn't be on the poster for something on network television now unless he did something great back in the day because he's very old yeah. and weird looking. And I don't so know it was who he is. Uh, James Arnez, and he mm-hmm. held the record for playing a character the longest oh. until Kelsey Grammer broke that record for Cheers and Frasier playing Frasier. Played Sideshow Bomb for longer than either of those characters. So what the hell? <laughs> Speaking of comedies, we got the Night Court episode, Shave and a Haircut, where uh, Harry and famous singer Mel Torme clash in a rare, long-running storyline on Night Court. What? Okay, first of all, I am opposed to someone put quote marks around famous singer Mel Torme. <laughs> Having just escaped the holiday season, I'm sure you heard Chestnuts roasting on an open fire a thousand times. Mm-hmm. He wrote that. Leave the man alone. Andy, uh, he was on an episode of Seinfeld. I always remember Mel Torme from Night Court because I was right. a huge Night Court guy growing up. And I had no idea who this Mel Torme character was. I only <laughs> knew that the funny magician really liked him. And then eventually, like the jazz singers on The Cosby Show, I learned, oh, this is a real person. This is mm. probably the, the producer's favorite singer who he's bringing onto his show. And so Mel Torme became a long-running character on Night Court. He'd come in, he'd interact with Harry. And in this episode, Harry has to make a choice between getting in good with Mel Torme at the cost of Mel suffering a humiliation at a fake ceremony. And he chooses the right decision and crashes his opportunity to become one with the Torme family. <laughs> Man, I think we need to start talking about Night Court, like the classic that it is. I really liked yeah. Night Court growing up. I thought it was the most ribald, sexy, and out there of the sitcoms. They're bringing the it back. That's what I heard, but not mm-hmm. sure how. How that cast is gone. Mm. It's the most, uh, daughter oh of I... Harry Anderson is coming back as a judge. Mm-hmm. And I love, I don't know why we were just talking about famous tall dudes in the VGA chat and multiple pictures of Bull from Night Court came up because he is wonderful and I've never seen him yeah. in anything else that isn't the Flintstones movie. So on the episode of Seinfeld, we got uh, the episode The Subway, where Jerry meets a nude man on the subway while Elaine goes to a lesbian wedding. So it's, uh, a, yeah. <laughs> it's a cliche, you know, old show couldn't be done because of cell phones, but I can't help thinking of it when yeah. I'm watching a lot of these old Seinfeld things, because they're all stuck on the subway, they all have their own adventures, but if it was today, it would be like, you're stuck on the subway, everyone pulls out their cell phone and starts looking at it. I really think being stuck somewhere is fundamentally different now yeah. than it was <laughs> 30 years ago. That's you're, I don't think about that often in Seinfeld, except for the multiple episodes where they're stuck or don't have a yeah. car or are going to be late to something. And like, that's kind of most <laughs> Seinfeld episode, but the one like they're trapped in the parking garage. Like, God, this is, <laughs> this is so easily solvable now. <laughs> this is also the episode where George meets a stranger on the subway, goes to a hotel with her, lets her chain him to a bed and then she steals all his money. Now, <laughs> my question is, how long would you have to know someone before you're comfortable enough to let them chain you to a bed? Because for me, got to be over an hour, you know, I, at least over mm. an hour. And I hate to be a broken record, but I think we're entering yet another area where if cell phones had existed, George could easily jerk off to pornography. And his <laughs> seeing this as his one shot of, at real sex in like a year, he would not... You would not take this kind of risk. You had the poison out already because he had mm. a cell phone. I don't know. Dicks make people do strange things. <laughs> George is the type of guy who will stick his dick in crazy. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And I can't believe we've made it this far into the episode without pointing out who the naked guy is. Oh, who is it? I don't know. It's Ernie Sabella, the voice of Pumbaa from The Lion King. <laughs> really? 
Really? Yep. You should have used the voice. Oh. <laughs> so kids, if you want to see what Pumbaa looks like, fairly naked, <laughs> and sitting on a subway car. Dear Santa, I have one wish this year. No, I, I don't. <laughs> the other interesting thing to me about this episode is Elaine is going to a lesbian wedding. Of course, mm-hmm. in 1992, uh, it wasn't a legally binding thing. But I do wonder if you're like 15-year-old who's discovering Seinfeld on Netflix at the time, just watches that and doesn't register that it was once illegal. Yeah, like, that, yeah, that it's like she, a joke. That isn't she? Yeah. She's the best man. Yeah. And right. Well, that there this was, is a joke because it's weird because two women getting married. That there was, that's silly. There was probably like corporate level fights over getting any of this on the air. At oh, the I'm time. sure. Larry mm-hmm. David probably had many, many awkward exchanges with executives over this. And then one of my favorite episodes of one of my favorite shows airs this week. I don't know that you can do better rewatching anything this week from the past that's having an anniversary than Radio Bart. Uh, after Bart fools everyone into believing a child has fallen down a well, Sting, <laughs> Sting performs, performs a song to help raise money for him. This episode is utterly fantastic it oh yeah yeah we're entering peak simpsons right now i mean this is when people Mm -hmm. talk about the golden age of simpsons it's like this season and the next three to four seasons are undebatable great amazing seasons no one disputes that yeah (laughs) i i love so much about this i love that you know there's base it's it's a lot of ways a reference to um What's it called? Ace, Ace in the, the Hole. hole. Yeah, I, I didn't oh, know that yeah. for years, and you don't need to know that to enjoy it. But you once you do, you'll love it so much more. And and yet, the one thing that always like puts this over the top for me is when they they're singing the the song to raise money, and it that it's Krusty the Clown that does all the freestyling. Yes. <laughs> Sending our love all the way, all the way down. Oh, I, I love you know those limos ain't free, and uh, whatever's left over, we'll tough we'll toss down the way. I think it might. <laughs> I think it might be the first time we see Sideshow Mel sing. That's also though we can't get him out. That cracks and now me up that's every just time. his voice. It was a gag. Right. It became his voice forever. Yes. Uh, this is also the first time we see Buff Body Willie, where it's like what? underneath Grace his uh, normal clothes, he is Jack beyond belief. <laughs> and and uh, Sting makes an appearance because Bruce Springsteen turned it down. But yeah. it's it's this giant parody of uh, we did a whole laser time about charity songs, charity ensemble mm-hmm. songs. You don't have to know that. The episode's just wonderful and enjoyable. You don't have to know the Axel Foley stuff or the baby Jessica or the Ace and the Hole stuff, but it all works. And my fa- my truly my favorite thing about it, I meant to go back and relook this up, I, that it, it kind of is the first episode where all of Springfield behaves poorly. Like mm. that, I, I think it's one of the first where we see Springfield as a character. Yes. You know, they always say some shows, well, this show, New York is a character. I think this is like one of the first times in the yeah. series where Springfield is a character now. You've seen Springfield mobs of unnamed faces, and you've seen little pockets of chaos happen throughout Springfield, but like the whole town getting caught up in something hasn't really happened yet. And you and, and you realize three seasons in, they have created so many characters and the glory of animation allows them to present 40, 50 different types of characters for any kind of gag that they want. It's It was glorious. It's Radio Bard is one of the best. And I, I, did, I was shocked. It's always been one of my personal favorites. It's made it in several like top five lists of the entirety of the I show. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Radio yeah. Bard, very good. There's things in The Simpsons that I reference and there's things in The Simpsons that cease being references and just start being how I think now. And <laughs> Yep. One of those is Homer Simpson watching the commercial where they say, 
act now supplies are limited and he goes limited and he rushes to the phone and says do you have any left and the guy's in this huge warehouse with millions of these things and that's how i think now anytime literally anytime i see uh supplies limited or limited availability i think you got a warehouse there's a guy named gus there who's going to answer in a surly voice you did remind me of a simpsons connection because that's how i feel about the title hand that rocks the cradle that's based on a poem but none of us use that term to reference the poem. We use it to reference this movie. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and, that's a good point. And it remi- the, the that movie is, I had... the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that uh, controls the future or rules the world controls the world. Yeah. As in, like a... it's all about the importance of motherhood and yeah. how how we raise our kids determines the future. But yeah. that meaning has utterly ceased, and now it just means psycho- crazy lady crazy. <laughs> starting to take over my life. <laughs> it's so weird. So, and I only had that written down because. Other than The Simpsons, I have never heard anyone perform songs from the HMS Pinafore in my life. <laughs> and, but it is also in the Hand Rocks the Cradle. No, never. Yes, never. Uh, that is in the movie for some reason. Uh, the, the Simpsons, going back to The Simpsons, great episode. I love that it lost an Emmy to Will Vinton's A Claymation Easter. <laughs> Easter. Not um, even the Christmas one, the Easter one, yeah, which even I, mean, I have never seen. Yeah, they, I, I own it on DVD. I have never taken the, the shrink wrap off of it. <laughs> you know, I'm never really in a good, a great mood for an Easter special. Before we leave TV, I want to give you a quick quiz. I have four titles. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me which of these are actual titles from this week's television lineup and which of these are a Troy McClure movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number one. All right. Battling for Baby. It's got to be a TGIF thing. Well, it is a sitcom. I'll say sitcom. Yeah, I think that's a sitcom. I'm going to know my Troy it's McClure movie. It's a made-for-TV movie uh, oh. about the birth of their daughter and son's first baby throws hostile ex-friends together, starring Courtney Cox. Hmm. Next title. Mm-hmm. Jagged Attraction. <laughs> that might be Troy McClure. That is Troy McClure. All right. Yeah. Nice. Next one. Guess who's coming to murder? <laughs> I could really go Troy either McClure. way. That I feel is like not I'm... Troy McClure. That no! is L.A. Law. Yes. L.A. Law, we found, has the best titles. They are defending a calculating serial killer. Right. Final title. Guess who's coming to luncheon? <laughs> You're trying to confuse me with a... Steamed hams reference. I'm not going to fall for that. This is a sitcom. It is a sitcom. Yeah. Murphy Brown uh, promises wow. to be on her best behavior at a White House luncheon. As we know now, Murphy Brown, the number three show in the country uh, wow. at, around this point. Unbelievable. Wow. Uh, the things we've lost. <laughs> well, uh, I've lost a lot of video games. But we'll talk about this more on patreon.com slash laser time. One of the games of the weirdest soundtrack ever, we have Super Adventure Island. One of the, A series that I truly revere and i don't know why it's a bizarre mario wonder boy ripoff that i found endearing tropical and wonderful is it the like first runner game because i replayed this and it's got this total runner vibe to it you move right you keep moving right that's all you need to do is move right and i love that simplicity yeah you eventually unlock a skateboard and the skateboard moves moves forward no matter what faster uh, yeah. yeah, faster because you know I think you can stop if you're on foot, but if you find the skateboard which you want, you can't. You are just moving forward. But with... if you stop, your like energy goes down, so yes. you can't really stop. You have to keep keep going and it's, going. It's and a hard eating it, it's... fruit until you're diabetic. The original is very hard, <laughs> and I found few people who love it. But I experienced it at an 
Oh, not to get too nostalgic, at a Godfather's Pizza in the arcades back in the day, and I just fell in love. I wanted to eat there all the time to play Adventure Island. It's one of the few games I own in box, and this is the Super Nintendo version, which is kind of where the series die- <laughs> dies, this little Mario wannabe. But at least they're not calling it Hudson's Adventure Island. That was so weird. As I called it that for like 20 years. I only recently was able to stop. It's Adventure Island by Hudson, but they... The commercials, they called it Hudson's Adventure Island. It's got a fantastic tropical soundtrack that yeah. is just very, very 90s. It's a very, yeah. very like not almost not appropriate for the game, but very appropriate for the, the year we're in. Uh, Disney's Area of the Little Mermaid for Genesis is terrible. Uh, did you ever play Eco the, Go- the Dolphin? I did. This is nothing like this. You know, <laughs> that was good. This sucks. This The controls, it feels like you're playing the controls underwater because your control is shorted out and you can't control anything. Mm. Um, <laughs> As you shoot, uh, you shoot Flotsam and Jetsam with the power of song. It's so dumb. And then just in time... Or should I say a month late? The Adams Family hits uh, Nintendo and Super Nintendo. A game I have never played, but because of that franchise's popularity, it's not our first Adams Family game. Well no. before the movie, Fester's Quest was, was upon us. Nah, pinball yeah. for life. Yeah, this is a platform shooter in a way Fester's Quest just isn't, and it's a perfect example to me of how the SNES is just superior to the NES. For pretty much everything. The Super Nintendo version of the Addams Family is a solid platformer even today. It's enjoyable. There's a bit of a Metroidvania element in that you can do it in different order. The controls, they're good. They're not amazing, but they're solid. The NES is just, eh... I don't know. There, there. I don't see a reason to play it over the Super Nintendo version. And I gotta say that the box is the movie, but that really looks like John Aston that you're <laughs> the character you're playing oh. as. Oh yeah, it's very cartoonish. It, yeah, but it, it doesn't look like a cartoon. It looks just like John Aston, like his Gomez. But you know, maybe that's due to a sprite limitation, the simplicity of Sean's dad's face. Let's move into the music of that's 1992. True. Still with us, God bless. Still with us. Closing out 1992 with a little look at the music. I don't know if we could have a better metaphor in the entire show than Nirvana's Nevermind bumping Michael Jackson's Dangerous from the number one album slot. That is literally what's happening in music this year all the way. Things that yeah. sound like Michael Jackson will have to get out of the way for things of, of things that sound like Nirvana. And I grew up, I came of age during this era, and I always thought like, yeah, this kind of music's going to be popular forever. I'm still, I remain shocked that it's not. It, it, uh, but that's, this is me growing into music right when mopey white people are in charge of music, uh, <laughs> of the vibe. Yeah, and it was such a short you, period the, of time. The top 20 in these next couple weeks is so strange. Yeah, right I now, I think it. is as far up as smells like teen spirit gets it gets to like number six mm-hmm. and most of the other stuff up there is like very synthy new jack swing a paula abdul ballad and it's just like one of these things is something <laughs> yeah. different one of these oh, no, things it, that, does not belong 1992 i was very much in the paula abdul camp but this is the creep of a different movement of music that is coming our way and a pretty yep. sizable yeah. one. I'm trying to remember the first song that I kind of like recognized as alternative music. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I can place it in time. I remember <laughs> being in a car going to a slumber party with some other kids and they were talking about Pearl Jam and it was just like, those are two words I've never, ever, 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 ever heard before. What the fuck are they talking <laughs> about? They keep talking about 10. And it, it, it was so confusing to me, but that was that was it for me. Talk, yep. talk of Pearl Jam. Before any mm-hmm. of us went through puberty, we were talking about Pearl Jam. Good times. Yes. 
still wearing a flannel, man. <laughs> it has nothing, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact that I live in Northern California and it's cold. Yeah, it has more to do with she's constantly cl- cosplaying as Claire Danes from My So-Called Life. Yeah. And, and yeah. <laughs> also in music this week, Poetic Justice by Lillian Axe, uh, Magic and Lost by Lou Reed, Born into the 90s by Robert Kelly and, and Public Announcement. Was that mm-hmm. his yeah, old backing was, band? Yeah, he was Robert R. Kelly and Public Announcement. Public and then... Announcement. Got rid of public announcement, but that is R. Kelly's debut album. Wow, what a ride he's been on! I wonder where the royalties, years, huh, where are the royalties from it going nowadays. Who can say? Mm, uh, at the Ra- I think his victims, yeah, at the Raymond Ray- Ryman by Amy Lou Harris, mm. The Dirt Road by <laughs> by Sawyer Brown, and oh god, Little Earthquakes, the debut of Tori Amos. Again, this is speaking of mopey girls wearing oversized clothing. I mean, it's their favorite artist of all time. This this just reminds me of every girl I dated in the '90s getting dressed to music from this album in a way that was both sexy and fucking annoying. Oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, this is overly sensitive art girl music, and I love it. And I have to say that I love it no matter what because Tori Amos's fans might be the most aggressive <laughs> there are like star wars fans have turned out to be giant dicks and mm-hmm. there's a lot of fandoms that are pretty toxic i don't think tori Amos fans are toxic but they are very passionate yeah i can see why i can see why because this woman was <laughs> a raw nerve and yes. if, if her music speaks to you that has to feel very good mm-hmm. you you need someone to speak to you so that's why and it's also on rolling stone's best 500 albums list and we will be closing up with silent all these years by tori amos but don't go anywhere we got a whole another segment to talk about and uh we got some hazing of jr to do so stick around <laughs> what if i'm a mermaid in these jeans of his with her name still on it but i don't care Sometimes I hear my voice and it's been here, silent all these years. Folks, it's the new year, which means New Year's resolutions. Some of you have probably even resolved to finally watch that hard-to-find movie or TV show and then discover to your dismay that it isn't available in your region. That's why NordVPN is here to help with an easy-to-use workaround. With just one click, you can access content from 59 different countries safely and securely so you can get the games, TV shows, and movies you're looking for. And if you manage to score a new game system or have some holiday gift cards burning a hole in your pocket, you can find discounts on games, movies, TV shows, and streaming subscriptions by taking advantage of international sales and pricing. Speaking of sales, right now, NordVPN is offering a special deal for LazerTime listeners. Go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime and use the code lasertime to get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan plus a bonus gift. This offer won't last long, so go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime and use the code lasertime, one word, to get your bonus gift and up to 73% off. Get those New Year's resolutions going. Get NordVPN today. It's the new year, but we're still talking about balls. And if you want your balls to shine like the one in Times Square, our sponsors at Manscaped have dropped in to help you resolve to be the sexiest, most confident version of yourself you can be. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code LASERTIME for 20% off plus free shipping. 
Since it's the new year, why not go nuts <laughs> with a new grooming routine with the leaders in Below the Waist Grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin, while the advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight to ensure 2022 is looking bright. Of course, any new grooming routine isn't complete without applying Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Refreshing Spritz. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest part of your body to provide a big boost to your confidence in the new year. And while gift-giving season may be over, Manscaped isn't done! They've included two free gifts in the Performance Package 4.0 to complete the set, the Manscaped Shed Travel Bag and Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. Manscaped also has an all-new product to help wash away the stink of 2021. Their ultra-premium body wash is infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, fresh, and moisturized. Using a vegan dye-free formula scented with the signature Manscaped Refined Cologne scent. It's time to kick 2021 and poor hygiene to the curb and resolve to look, feel, and smell better. Go to manscaped.com and use the code LASERTIME to get 20% off plus free shipping. That's 20% off plus free shipping by using the code LASERTIME, one word, at manscaped.com. Manscaped, your balls will thank you. Coming in with a song off the best-selling album of last year. Didn't feel like we were giving the proper attention to Linkin Park in the end. I have two wonderful associations with this song in the end. Uh-oh. One, not, uh, having not loved Linkin I, I didn't love the... Like I just said, I grew up in the alternative era. The, the whole uh, rap-infused rock thing was very confusing and hit and miss for me. But hmm. now, this year, as we're several days into it, I have been... Greatly fitness focused and kind of end every sundown now. You will find me working out in the video game Beat Saber to In the End by Linkin Park, a pack I just recently purchased. I have listened to it far more for exercise than for pleasure, <laughs> and I, I don't—I very much don't hate it now. And associate when I do hear it, I make the motions of the Beat Saber. But what I what I, what I specifically remember—and this is so geeky and weird, but but and, and probably not interesting. As a big fan of Newgrounds, mm-hmm. um, the Flash animation site, I would go there every day and watch amateur indie Flash cartoons. And I remember at this point, I am clicking through what's the most popular thing on Newgrounds, JR? What do you think? Mm, Just don't know. Stick figure uh, kung fu, Diana, can you guess? Oh, oh. Um. I was going to say uh, Battle of Ultimate Destiny, but that's coming up. I looked up to oh, see when yes. that's coming. <laughs> uh, it, no, incorrect. The, what I was looking for was 9-11 tributes. 9-11 tributes. Oh, and I, I remember telling a friend of mine, a programmer, I click on one, and I never heard this song before, and it's In the End by Linkin Park, 9-11 tribute, but what this person had done, it was the first person I'd ever seen him do it, he... Uh, flash animation was a way to, a really easy way to make animated movements in Flash, but we didn't have Flash video yet. 
but this person had kind of ripped photographs from the Lincoln Park video and assembled them in order in Flash to give the presence of, from what I can remember, the first Flash version of a music video with video footage. And I remember telling my friend, he's like, that's not possible. There's no way to render video in Flash yet. That's not possible. Like, I saw it, and it was in the end by Lincoln Park, and then the plane (laughs) hitting the building. And I couldn't ever find it again because there were so many... There, there remain a billion 9-11 YouTube tribute videos within the end in it. It's incredible. R.I.P. Why, why those two things together? I, I think it was, again, not to talk elongatedly about 9-11 again, because we definitely did that. It was a true experience of sadness for a lot of people who, you know, hadn't lost a relative yet. I'm, I'm ta- speaking from personal experience. Like, what the fuck did we just go through? And that's kind of the painiest song that exists in mainstream popular culture mm. right now. So an ex- uh, expression mm-hmm. of grief is definitely in the song in the end, and that's why it was used in 9-11, in 9/11 tribute videos. It does seem uh, weird now, that but makes sense. I can assure you that's probably why. Innocently, innocently done and earnestly done. New releases of 2002, that's where we are, uh, January 7th to the 13th, include I Am by Ayumi Hama- Hamasaki and uh, Jukebox Sparrows by Shannon McNally. Thank God for that you know, couple weeks of Japanese class I took and every letter being pronounced exactly the same. I will not fuck up the pronunciation of a Japanese name. Uh, they figured so, it out with the transliterations. I'll give them that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yumi Hamazaki was the Britney Spears of Japan when I was living in Japan. Mm-hmm. And then I moved away. And recently I looked her up and she's still going strong there. You mm-hmm. know, uh, she's still plugging away in many ways better than Britney did here. So it's very interesting to me that, you know, you experience some things briefly when you're living in a foreign country. And of course, things go on once you leave that country. And with her, her career has just kept on going. But to me, she's frozen as if your only image of Britney was 2001 Britney Spears. And mm. you had no other images of her. Well, I, I, yeah. I'm knowing Japan as like I do, you could probably fly over there right now and she's performing at Tower Records and looking exactly the same. So if you want some frozen yeah. in time moments, Japan's always that is a good place one to go. thing that I've definitely learned doing this show is that when I'm looking up, you know, what albums came out, I get a lot of Canadian and Australian and British stuff because I'm looking at English and everyone except America, they hold on to their acts mm. and they mm. keep following up with them. And here we do. We just consider everyone a flash in the pan. Disposable. Where it's like, yeah, we we dispose of it unless you really bring it big again. And I don't know, I don't know how they do that. We're just like, oh, I, I have, yeah. I have some speculation. You know, the Verve Pipe or somebody. It's like here we're like, oh yeah, those guys from back then. It's like they're still going. They're touring. <laughs> what are you talking about? Sarah's not here. R.I.P. in peace. It's me, Sarah. Because how you remind me, my Nickelback is still number one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Speaking of nostalgia, oh man, I don't want to get into this too heavy, but news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2002, January 7th through the 13th. George W. Bush signs the No Child Left Behind Act, and uh, a terrible name that like almost literally meant the opposite of what it was supposed to do. It's not, yeah. we won't leave behind any single child, we will defund all these schools with the shitty kids in it, so the whole school is terrible, because school should be run like a business, because we're idiots. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing is, we need metrics and testing. Mm-hmm. But, oh, it turns out the kids aren't that good at the test, so we'll dumb down the test. Mm-hmm. Or how about we get a bunch of kids to maybe drop out and now our test scores go up? Let's get rid of the kids that need the most help. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, no child left behind. Every kind of fuckery 
<laughs> that you could think of with just the idea of let's test everyone all the time to see how they're doing. Mm -hmm. There's a million ways to fuck with that. And all of them were employed and it ended up just widening the gap between poor kids and middle class kids and black kids and white kids. And uh, it was repealed in 2015. And that is a good thing. Thank goodness. Because, I, yes, I, you know capitalism you know you don't have to believe it's the best system but you shouldn't believe it's the only system and the idea that like schools that perform best get more money is the yeah. opposite of how things should work that is not that is very very yeah. stupid and that is something both bushes push like only the successful schools will get our money like you will sound like super villains in 30 years that is the dumbest <laughs> the dumbest public position to take in regards to education as a Talk show fan, I love this. Who put this in here? Conan O'Brien, Mary Liza Powell, Diana. How did you, it's it's a, such a great find. Conan O'Brien, yeah. one of my favorite people, such a nerd. I believe he did commentary over this. Conan meets his wife on camera. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you, yes, they they were yes. doing one of his famous remote pieces, and I think she was a marketing agent and. I forgot. I totally. You you can find it on YouTube, like the the video where Conan meets his wife, and it's like you don't see birds sing when they meet, but like that is the first time Conan is meeting his wife for life, mother of his children, Aww. is in a remote piece where she's playing herself, making up marketing for Conan O'Brien. I think it's so, but that's Conan O'Brien has been on the air for almost ten years and is pathetically single and childless, <laughs> <laughs> and like it's not. It's not one of those bad workplace romance stories, but it's like, wow, this is the only way you met your wife is by going out and doing your show? <laughs> Holy you, Lord. You have a huge what late a night show. You didn't just invite a horde of supermodels yeah. for a pool party. You're not, and you're just, not read like, of what Johnny Carson was doing on yachts, like behind all of his <laughs> wives' back. Like, what the fuck, Conan? <laughs> what, yeah. a, what, a, oh, what a sweet little nerd. Such a sweet little nerd. So yeah, ha happy wedding anniversary, you guys. I hope you don't get COVID. <laughs> Celebrate at home. So everyone celebrate at home everything from now on, please. Uh, it's me, Sarah, can testify. COVID, mm. it's a terrible wedding gift. But moving on to the movies of 2002. Oh boy, The Fellowship of the Ring, still number one at the box office. Still, you Feels bunch good. of nerds. Feels good, baby. Feels good. I, I just talked my dad into rewatching it, and he is going through Lord of the Rings fever. I read those books in college. These are phenomenal adaptations. <laughs> like you're, you're right, Dad. I'm glad I can talk about this again with you. <laughs> yeah, actually, speaking of talk shows, did you see the reunion thing they did for Colbert? It's pretty, oh, the Lord of the Rings great. reunion, yes. Yeah, Lord of the Ling yeah. Rings reunion where... I didn't even recognize it's Hugo Weaving spitting fire in Elvish. <laughs> I that did. was awesome. I love that I did think there was, it was a little sad, just that none of you should be rapping. This is, this is technically terrible, but I'm very yeah. happy to see you all together. Yeah. It was yeah. a glorious terrible, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a good kind of terrible. Um, Funny terrible. Number, Silly terrible. Number one trilly. Number one, truly, <laughs> pestering Anna Kendrick for no reason, <laughs> just because you can get her, I guess. And she's a big nerd. Yeah, because and that's the only other slight sadness is like these things are much easier to do when you do them remotely. It's not truly a re is this truly yeah. a reunion? I'm happy. I'm not overthinking this anymore. Just happy it happened. There's a movie out called The Jimmy Show. <laughs> um, so there's not many films about failure. I mean, constant, repeated failure. But this yeah. is one of them. You yeah. know, that's an aspect of the human condition that doesn't lend itself to film. Because it's like, hey, you guys want to see someone fail again and again and again and again <laughs> in a non-funny way? Yeah. And, and, and well, but we just watched Ghost World. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the the arc of 
most Western film is they're either supposed to achieve something at the end or earn a consolation prize they didn't expect but are still rewarded by. In classic literary division, going back to the ancient Greeks, a comedy is when the protagonist learns his lesson. Mm -hmm. A tragedy is when the protagonist fails to learn his lesson. Mm. And this is a tragedy. Jimmy is a... Okay, did you ever read The Dark Knight? graphic novel yes. no no the killing joke i'm sorry the killing yes. joke mm-hmm. where they Batman show kills the scenes the joker. of the, the joker <laughs> trying to do his stand-up and yes. failing miserably mm-hmm. imagine someone turns that nine panels into an entire movie wow. and that's what you have here because <laughs> it and, is and frank whaley does it he he stars in and directs mm-hmm. this yeah which and is, he does a good job cool. i didn't I realize mean, he, he directed he directed a fair number of things and it's like oh He plays a loser very well. I mean, this is a guy who goes through very bad jobs where all he has to do to keep his job is steal less than most other employees. And he can't (laughs) even do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then he consoles himself by going to comedy club. So he's going to open Mike nights at different comedy clubs, bombing until they kick him out and then going to the other. In many ways, uh, this is, you know, the reverse story of most biopics where a person has a passion and they're consumed by their passion and everyone tells them to quit and they don't quit and they win. And Mm -hmm. this is that story if that person sucks and (laughs) is not good and should really, really give up on your dreams. Some of of us are living the story right now. Just be yeah. It's huh. a story not told very often, but this is the story about you should give up your dream because this guy's <laughs> dream leads him down a bad path in life where he has nothing at the end. I mean, it's it's very sad and very dour. Wow. And full movie on YouTube, by the way. I think officially, actually. Uh, I find that so weird because I could not find this <laughs> before we started. If he has Carla Gugino in his life, is he truly a failure? Yeah. <laughs> A pretty lady. I'd, I'd, I'd rather see her in anything that's not having sex with Robert De Niro. That's a throwback. Got to bring that up every I, time. I, I ever since thinking of him making the De Niro face while while making love to a woman forty years his junior just bothers right. me on such. <laughs> now wait, is that better level. or worse than watching Elijah Wood eat her fingers in Sin City? Oh. Oh. He made me watch! <laughs> That's be fun. I meant to revisit this movie because I did not like this as much as critics did. Mm-hmm. But I love reading about it. John Ortiz, Alan Von Sprang, Stacey Farber, Chi McBride, Busta Rhymes, Ray Liotta, Jason Patrick, and Nark. Uh, Joe, what's his name movie? Um, Joe Carnahan. Joe yeah. Carnahan, who's like work. I'm like, I think I'm a, at some point in my life, I'm going to become obsessed with that guy. So I wanted to. I just couldn't find the time to go back to Narc. Did anybody see Narc? This a critical I darling. Did. It's a you must pay attention to this movie. Movie. Mm-hmm. You yeah. cannot be looking at your phone for one email. Not, mm-hmm. not even one email. This is not that type of movie. It's one of those movies with a twist ending where I kind of want to talk about the twist ending because I can't see wanting to watch this movie without the twist ending. Mm. But if I tell you about the twist ending, would you really want to watch this movie? Mm. I don't know. It's one of those films. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's, it, there's a fair amount of overlap with training day. I feel like on mm. this one and that there's, you know, it's very gritty. We're trying to sort out a conspiracy. Ray Liotta's obviously the older grizzled cynical cop. And Jason Patrick is the younger, but messed up still has some morals cop. But yeah, I remember it being a wee bit too twisty and turny and definitely 
a dour kind of movie. It's very grimy and dark and no one has a soul kind of movie, but it's like, it's okay. It's just, it, I didn't get around to finishing it, but it was sort of like this having just watched training day is not helping you. It's the type of film where a character uses a shotgun as a bong and blows off his head. And that's (laughs) probably the lightest moment of the film. (laughs) Well, spoil the twist for us. I don't remember it, JR. The twist at the end is that Ray Liotta wasn't dirty. This whole time, Jason Patrick was thinking that he was dirty, but Ray Liotta was covering for his partner who got hooked on drugs, and he didn't actually do it. But now... Uh, Jason Patrick has led to Ray Liotta's death. So what does Jason Patrick do when the film kind of ends without an answer? Right. Oh, and you know what? This this movie gave me the impression Ray Liotta was much older than he is because they made him gain a ton of weight that mm. he, he has yeah, never he been this old. heavy before. He, and... he looks vaguely like he did in last year's Saints of Newark. Oh, still, wow. Still thinking about that movie. Yeah, like 20 and... years earlier. Like Because I've seen him in tons of things since then. Like, hey, you, you're all right. But I don't, yeah, I'm pretty sure he gained weight for this role. But uh, an interesting film. Sorry I didn't give it my due diligence. So, same with uh, Charlotte Gray, a movie with Kate Blanchett, James Fleet, and Abigail Crittenden. Oh, I wish this movie were so much better. <laughs> could have been better. I, Deserves could, to be could better. have been better. It's directed by Jillian, wait, Jillian Armstrong. Unless it's Jillian Anderson. Jillian Armstrong, who's an Australian lady director that I quite like. And they had worked together before on uh, Oscar and Lucinda, which is a good movie. And this should be so much better because it's about Kate Blanchett fighting with the French resistance. It's, yes. Uh, I will give you all of my money. <laughs> She's playing a composite character. Uh, she's not based on anyone in real life, but in real life, MI6 sent around 400 female agents into occupied France to help the resistance spy on the Nazis. Uh, some people Shit. doing uh, work like sending radio transmitters, information back to England, had life expectancies measuring in weeks. Um, it was a very dangerous position. Mm-hmm. Of the uh, 400 sent, 100 died, often in bad bad conditions because spies are not covered no uh, if yeah. you're lucky the ss gets you and just puts a bullet in you yeah uh, if you're lucky it, it's a very pretty film i gotta say yeah. everyone looks and dresses like a 1940s star you know it's pretty but yeah. there wasn't enough there yeah i was i was super hyped when i saw what this was about and it's like oh man no i want some i undercover french resistance mm-hmm. stories yes I want to see more of that. I guess well, we have to wait till we talk about the good German. But yeah, I was disappointed. Missed but, opportunity. But the next movie. Pleasantly surprised. I, pleasantly surprised. And I have, I'll try to keep it to a minimum how much I have to personally talk about it because I, I grew up in Orange County, the oh. setting of this film. Mm-hmm. And so I can say, first of all, not one frame of it was filmed in Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I recognize that like, avant-garde brutalist high school and that, that's out in like diamond bar bro well it's not in orange county anyway mm-hmm. but so many wonderful people are in this movie yeah people still i wonder if they've guessed what the movie is yet um <laughs> well i could list some of the cameos first which i didn't put in here great cameos ben stiller harold ramus lily tomlin chevy chase kevin klein kevin klein 
They all pretty it's much amazing. do one scene. Kevin Klein is lit like he is God himself. Yes, yeah, I love yeah. him in this movie. Uh, Leslie Mann also, John Litgow, Schuler Fisk. Am I saying that right? <laughs> Catherine O'Hare? Skyler. Skyler Fisk? Why spell Skyler like that? Good Lord. <laughs> Looks like it should be screamed by a Nazi. Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> Hell yes! And, and kind of the, I don't want to say breakthrough, but like a big vehicle for Tommy Jr., Colin Hanks. This and, is his first yeah. starring role. Yeah, yeah. I think he yeah, may have been Hanks in other things before. But starring like... role. We, we talked about him in Just Go With It. Mm-hmm. He's got a pretty decent part in that, which is also a high school movie that I expected to suck and was better than I expected. Yeah, is this and... his most famous role, though? It's got to be his biggest. be, because... Yeah, he does. He's not. I can't think of anything. He's not than a this. starring guy. Mm-hmm. He's a reliable. Does a lot of voice work. Is is always a reliable third build kind of guy. No, I really like as much him. as I loved him on Fargo and TV. And I, I really like uh, this movie's pretty great, and that is or- the movie Orange County. Two brothers. Stay in your room. Why? Because you're an embarrassment. Oh, okay. One had a dream. I have to go to college. Why? That's what you do after high school. The other had a couch. I didn't go to college. Look at me. But tomorrow, they'll both need each other if they want to get out of Orange County. Hello, Stanford University. Hi. Loosen it up, buddy. You got to make love to him. Like, go, hey, what's up, Stanford? Orange County, rated PG-13, starts tomorrow. Orange County, and man, I... Never Speaking again of a pedigree that elevates the material. Yeah. Uh, yep. Written by the wonderful Mike White, for anybody who, with, yep. with the White Lotus? Black Lotus. Yep. Is, is follow-up to Chuck and Buck. Uh, Chuck and Buck fucking suck! Love that yeah. movie. Directed by uh, Jake Hadston? Yeah, Jake Hadston. His follow-up to Zero, Zero Effect, Effect, a movie Fantastic I will never film. stop recommending. Is we it? deserve to have seven movies in the Zero Effect series by now. And and I just and also as a comedy nerd, like I was obsessed with Tenacious D, Jack Black, and the the TV comedy stuff he does. And after his breakout role in High Fidelity, this is one of his bigger, non embarrassing roles. Even though it's very almost not Jack Blacky, little too stonery, not mm. not enthusiastic drunk, which is what he really is. Yeah, uh, there's there's yeah. some of that. I mean, there there's an awful lot of uh, running amok in his tidy whities. True, you know. Really enjoying his body beautiful. And uh, I'm not sure if it's because he's high or in this universe, uh, they just use the honor system when you have to send in your pee for a drug test. Because he's <laughs> getting pee in a drug test at home. I guess mm. he's going to mail it. So drop uh, it off. So, drop yeah, it off. no, they make they watch you do that. Yeah. That's uh, not how it works. But Colin Hanks is someone who's really looking for a geographic solution to his psychological issues. Yes. He yes. wants to be a writer. And he has this image in his mind of Stanford as being the only place that will work for him to become the writer that he wants to be. And he sees all the people around him as this impediment to it. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even give any care to the thought that he's abandoning uh, his wonderful girlfriend who's shown as nothing but nice and sweet and caring and supportive of him and his dreams. So there's a lot going on in his mind. And he writes a short story which we, the audience, are obviously supposed to connect to this film. Mm -hmm. The short story he writes in this film is, in fact, this film. Right. And the Kevin Klein character says, I loved that all of your characters are so well-developed, which to me is like an almost Mr. Fantastic stretching ability of the writer to give himself a reach around (laughs) because he's complimenting himself in like three different dimensions in that line. Yeah. I actually, I, I like that in that 
it sort of points to the idea that maybe he's an okay writer, but not a great writer because he's just no one at eighteen right. is well, a great writer. No well, one true, at but eighteen he's, is great. Writer. He's writing what he knows, and what he knows is literally his mom, Catherine O'Hara, and his crazy brother, Jack Black. And like, yes, you should write what you know versus what you don't know. Mm-hmm. But that I don't know, he's good at developing them and like putting across how they are. But he's not good at inventing a character. He's just got to steal from real life. Which, yeah, at 18, that's exactly what you should do. Just yeah. change all the names and then and write the people you know. And never let them see it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know why I avoided this. I just, maybe because a lot of teen comedies from this period are just really stupid. Well, I, I had a prolonged conversation and, uh, about how difficult it would be to describe MTV films to a young person today. Because MTV is beyond irrelevant and we're t- and, like even more confusing than the mtv as only music videos is the mtv era i grew up with which is they're making bold television shows pioneering right. the reality genre and then making great films and movie theaters it just feels so bizarre <laughs> even yeah. though that reno well, 911 so, movie they're, is they're technically an great. mtv movie yeah i mean they're they're great in that they're entertaining but you know they're not awards type stuff but like, they're but they're they're i mean like pootie tang original kings of comedy they're they're both wonderful that way but you know they're, but, but they're they're almost entirely risky youth oriented yeah. and uh yeah well, and, and culture blues. and culture yeah. but they're culturally defining or at least mm-hmm. reading the culture much better than in a way that hollywood's yes. wish yeah. it could and trying to explain mtv films and like what the fuck is that and like it's kind of difficult to describe there's some shitty stuff in there and then but there's <sighs> classics in MTV. Yes, is, there's is there legit any... classics that they got on board. Election, Better Luck Tomorrow, Beavis and Butter Do America. I didn't realize that they produced Murder Ball, which yeah. is a great documentary. Jackass, Napoleon Dynamite, MTV Films is, and again, if you didn't hear me, that new Reader 911 movie is technically the rebranding of MTV Films. That is not a Comedy Central film. It's an MTV film. Well, in made that a case, thing. that means they're not going after the youth audience right. anymore. Because Reno yeah. 911 is not a youth show. I encourage yeah. you to listen to our episode about Channel Drift, about how like MTV now is like Adam Sandler movie on the weekends and then wall-to-wall ridiculousness. And by mm-hmm. that, I mean that is a show hosted by Rob Deertrick called The Ridiculous. It's America's Funny Some Videos, but with... Yep. Uh, with millennials commenting on stuff. Yeah, but in a way, I feel like it's getting back to the roots because, you know, what was jackass, but it, skateboarding fail videos originally. But also, but also like a shared and cultural that's kind experience. that's ridiculous like, this is. Hey, 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 guys, let's look, look at the, have you seen this video? Let's watch it together. Like, I guess yeah. that is in the spirit of MTV always. But, yeah. but yeah, this, this is my favorite. It is my favorite era of MTV, but I grew up in it, but it is interesting to talk about how like how how much of their fingerprints are on the culture even more so than in the 80s and now mm. they're, they're reduced to nothing they are a meaningless brand is yep. there any company today that has its pulse on the youth the way that mtv did back I, in 2002 i think youtube Ooh. would make that impossible because right yeah. too many youths there's yeah too there's many youths the, there's, there's so many instagram folks and youtube folks right. yeah the MTV stuff was good, and this is an example of like, would this movie exist? Would it had gone through? Would it have gone through a factory of studio fuckery had yes. it not mm, been absolutely. made by MTV it, Films? Like, it's, yeah. it's it's an interesting. It really is more interesting than I remember. I, I thought about it way more than when I first saw it in theaters, and a bunch of my friends saw this in theaters. It's a, 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 a kind of a hit for for younger yeah. people back in yeah. the day. Yeah, no, it solidly made its money back because it was made for pretty cheap, and it's weird. I was thinking about this of like. 
what this what I was expecting this movie to be mm-hmm. was more a lot more crass. And there is plenty of crass ass humor in this. I wonder but, how much of that was inputted. Like, yeah, the that's what I'm thinking. Script was probably cleaner. And then American Pie was huge. And they yeah. went, we got to pie this up. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> what I was thinking. It was, uh, it was just going to be like an American Pie. And but like American Pie actually has a lot of heart. This really does, too. And mm-hmm. like as someone who also was desperate to get the fuck out of orange <laughs> county because everything is so goddamn fake and so goddamn boring and he's even a surfer i wasn't a surfer that's the only goddamn thing that surfer skate and this yeah i don't want to do those things so what do i do if i don't have a car it's over an hour to get to los angeles to do anything this blows and everyone else seems very happy they seem to think that this is the best place to live in the entire world and there are and it's it's like what because the weather is that it is it just the weather yeah yeah and so yeah. he is determined to get into stanford uh because you know his favorite author is a teacher there and he thinks that's going to fix everything and i love that well first of all jack black drives him to stanford and he's like we can do it in three hours and i'm like bitch <laughs> you can't do it in five if you drive at 90 anyway <laughs> um, <laughs> but then it's showing then it's uh, black jack high out of his mind swerving yeah. in and out of traffic so i think yeah. that's the joke Oh, yeah, totally. But then the idea that like, well, he gets to Stanford, which he's built up as being like, this is the solution to my problems. Mm -hmm. And people there are kind of fake, too. And they're not on his wavelength. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. Wherever you go, you can find your tribe. But there is not a magic place that's perfect for just you. No, there's an old fable. Guy is walking along. He sees a beggar in the road. He says, uh, what type of people are up in the town ahead. Beggar says, uh, what type of people did you find in the last town you were at? And the guy says, they were jerks. I hated them. They were all horrible people. And the beggar says, you will find that same group of people in this town. Next guy comes along, asks the beggar, mm-hmm. what are the people like in the town ahead? Guy says, what did you find the people to be like in the last town you were in? They said, guy says, they were great people, very kind, very friendly. Uh, I adored them. And the beggar says, you will find the same type of people in this town. And that's, Colin Hanks journey here. The movie starts out with him watching some cheerleaders dance to a pop song that he's dismissive of. Yeah. And then he goes to Stanford and he sees his ideal group of uh, students dance to that same pop song. It, and it's like, mm-hmm. I love that shit. I, I, I was, yeah. I was very much like Colin Hanks at oh, yeah. in, in, almost his exact age during this. this is, I was the exact same way. It's just snobbery, unearned snobbery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Butterfly yeah. by Crazy Town. I should yeah. mention that. But- <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. There is a lot of music that dates this to an exact moment. I don't doubt it. I think that makes it more timeless, honestly. Yeah. You know, well, it's, I, that's it's, something that I've definitely noticed with, with movies. The more dated, the younger the audience is. It's like mm-hmm. movies that are made for teenagers feel I, they capture like the clothing and the music mm-hmm. more it, you it, know, it than is, other movies sense. for adults, even if they're you know set at the exact same time. I, I think that's because teenagers follow trends more than adults do. It is. You know, it almost, in my 40s, I'm not mo- jumping on it, the latest trends. Movies for young yeah. people are trying to capture now, and a lot of, not every, all most movies for old people are meant to recapture a time mm. <laughs> they a were kids. Um, yep. Having watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for like the ninth time this year, I, I can assure you <sighs> this is a true fact. And, yep. But uh, yeah, so, yeah I, I was teleported to 2002. I think, like, uh, I... Uh, we got we got in a minor argument over the uh, intro MTV Films Best Movie, and Diana reminded me that Election yeah. is an MTV film as well, and so of course that's it. And yeah, but so, and Zoolander, 
in Zoolander. Yeah. But but uh, Zoolander I think it's a VH, MTV? I think it might be I a VH1 so. movie. Well, VH1, but that's the same corporate. It's the same giant, company. So. Oh. But well, they're all the same corporate giant now. So it's yeah. everything is. But it, that's what made me nostalgic. Like uh, this this period of like weirdly good MTV projects, and this mm-hmm. this is sort of a forgotten gem. It's not mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. face amazing, but it's just like wow, what a non-condescending movie for teenagers that yeah, like, yeah. really that's, really decent there's there's a lot of condensation in teenage movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. But it's a totally forgotten movie that i think uh you might have fun revisiting um yeah, it was it was very pleasant and it does have some real good jokes in it too the harold mm. ramus's whole section of him accidentally doing a ton of molly and wanting to touch everything not uh, not expected where that was going i know it was i was very i was it was it was the pleasant surprise of the week for me yeah um, although watch zero effect oh my god very good i love zero effect so much you guys you uh, want to see bill pullman as nebishy sherlock holmes yes you do i mean i i i, I gotta give it up for most of uh jake hats and stuff because most of jake has and stuff was I mean, he wrote this like right in a walk hard the Dewey Cox story, which is well, I will never stop talking about walk hard. We're going to bring that up in the 2012 segment. Oh, moving on quickly to 2002 television, January 7th to the 13th. I I would recommend for Orange County, by the way, Uh, it's streaming free on YouTube uh, officially. So you see it there and Tubi and uh, whatever. Uh, Moving on to TV. January 7th to the 13th, we have Friends, the one where Joey dates Rachel. What, 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 what? So I fell off in Friends about one or two seasons before this episode. Mm-hmm. So for the show, I decided to watch this episode, and I'm watching it for the first five minutes. It's all right. And then my wife comes and joins me, and the show becomes, I'm not kidding, 500% funnier. Friends is a type of show where... If you want to watch it, I really think it's best to watch it with someone else because I don't think it's one of those comedies that really works by yourself as much as some other comedies. Can. That I think you hmm. might have explained the entire phenomenon of sitcoms. I don't know anybody who's an individual fan of The Big Bang Theory. It's always my partner and I watch The Big huh. Bang Theory. It's But I did want to brainstorm something. In this episode, they get a old Miss Pac-Man arcade. Hell yeah. And a major plot point is Chandler gets really good at the game and puts nothing but naughty words in it. And <laughs> there's the three-letter limit. And they mm-hmm. mention ass is one of them. What to, are yeah. the other yeah. ones? As, as someone studying high scores mm. in Donkey Kong, there are certain ones I will not use anymore. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I definitely have F-U-K. Yeah. Oh, uh, there you go. J-I-Z is also a good one. All right. Uh, that's one people forget about. There's an F-1 you don't want to use anymore, but mm. it's, it, ah, I can yeah. understand the appeal. It's all the right letters in there. Um, that's true. Um, D-I-K. You really, you want to go broad, C-N-T? Oh, I've never thought of that one. Oh. There you go. Uh, oh. I got D-I-K in there. And mm-hmm. I know this because I accidentally sent a picture of this screen to, I was meant to send it to my friend, and I sent it to his girlfriend. And she just oh. sees, like, a 1981 font cunt pissed <laughs> <laughs> with a numeric value next to it. No, should we go with P-I-S or P-I-Z? Ooh, P- P-I-Z. Or P-S-S for piss. No, P-S-S is too, it's like P-S-S. I've got something more to say after I argued oh, one PS yeah, in my point. letter. Oh, good and point. then, of course, there's C-U-M. You can use that one in there as well. Yeah. Um, uh, there you go. Sorry. I, I'm sorry I know so much about this, <laughs> but I, I I like setting high scores on uh, Donkey Kong. You know, people always go with ass, and they never, never go with bum. Bum? Uh, yeah, I guess that could be a good fair. one. But in America, it's just like 
Yeah. Hobo? No, 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 yeah. no. Derriere, Derriere. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Finally, but... in this episode, uh, Rachel watches Cujo and she says the line, I hope this dog dies, <laughs> which <laughs> I just think you could isolate that line as a like, what the fuck? And a blackmailer forever. <laughs> and oh, the, Fox, if I oh, had Fox. all the time and energy in a group of researchers, I would love oh, yeah. to do an examination. They have the weirdest fucking game shows. None yeah. of them well, tend to be 2002 and 2003 is the glory days of they throw everything at the game yeah. show wall to see what's because it's all reality television. You know, we we've just had Big Brother and Survivor become massive hits. Yeah, but so but here we go. Fox is now combining it the with most. <laughs> oh, and Fear Factor too. Now yes. the Fear Factor's on. That yeah. Now <laughs> it's just how immoral can they get? This is as close, and I'm not being facetious here. I really think this is as close as we have ever gotten running to the Running Man. Oh. <laughs> We no, I'm not kidding. Name a game I, show yeah. closer to The Running Man than this. Yeah. Okay. The not Chamber. Even Fear Factor, the, not know? even what about, Kid Nation, I think, could have turned into Lord of the Flies. That would have been pretty fun. I mean, there's <laughs> Ellen does some like light county fair torture on television nowadays, but it doesn't compare to what's going on in The Chamber, the show that debuts on Fox this week, where contestants answer questions while strapped in a torture chamber and they're exposed to either hot, very extreme hot and cold weathers, high winds, or simulated earthquakes. <laughs> so only three episodes aired, and then it got taken off due to controversy. And one of the contestants sued the show for injuries mm-hmm. that she received in the filming of this wow. and won more money than any other contestant on the show ever made. <laughs> so they got that, more that from a lawsuit. Was, <laughs> waiver was not strong enough, huh? No, I mean, uh, honestly, the waiver of, do you agree to be in a room where we simulate torture with heat, cold temperature, high winds, and earthquakes? Yes. (laughs) I'm not sure this is legally binding. Mm. Wow. Wow. Uh, I forgot all about this, but I forgot all about most of these crazy Fox game shows. I'm kind of amazed the FCC approved this, honestly. There's got to be some limit, right? I mean, you can't like have the... Uh, will nail your hands together the game show. FCC <laughs> wouldn't approve that, I mean, right? Not outside Japan, no. Yep. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just looked it up. I'm like, wait, was this the what? No, so there's another one called The Chair that is like yes. next week. No. Oh. And it's, yeah, more of the same of like, <laughs> let's, can we fuck up your EKG? Like, real is, good. Is this like, <laughs> The, the, when, once Fox like learned they could combine the reality show Ben to the game show, they went fucking nuts. And still, it's a what about a town run by children? This won't get a suit. We'll, we'll have a marry a millionaire. That's what we'll do. It's like it's such a it's marry a millionaire, but it turns out he's not a millionaire. It's such a strange phenomenon. Uh, but I'm surprised more people don't watch because every time I think about it, like maybe I should have watched. No, uh, I watched an episode. It's garbage. It's boring. It's not fun. All right. Yeah. Like watching someone get YouTube. tortured probably isn't fucking fun. No, probably not. <laughs> watching a guy get, get cold. Burr, man, <laughs> riveting. I hope, <laughs> hope they put some blue light on the set. And then I thought this was, I last call with Carson Daly debuts on uh, January right. 8th, 2002. It's and then later later they changed this this the title to later with Carson Daly. Mm-hmm. It was on NBC from 2002 from 2019. JR it says I have never heard of it before this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry listeners. I, I I'm uh, looking up the TV stuff and I looked at this and I was like last call 2000 I, I, episodes 17 years I have never heard of this once. Carson wow. once. Someone never works swing shift because I watched 
this all the time because I didn't give a shit about TRL, but Carson Daly it has he's a decent interviewer because yeah, he's I, I think he's, a he's great so guy. conversational that people just start talking. Yeah, it, it so, probably yeah, good, good it at this the, job, but it, it airs the late late show in a time before YouTube and streaming. It's airing at one thirty in the morning, <laughs> so if you're not willing to waste videotape on it, how are you supposed to see this? I got one of my favorite clips on the subject from uh, David Letterman, and during that period where he's ranting all about Jay Leno stealing the Tonight Show from Conan. One, he consistently refers to Jimmy Fallon as Lonnie Donegan. That's always going to be funny <laughs> to me. But he just playful jabs at Carson Daly, and I, I love this clip. He's complaining mostly about Jay Leno at the very end. And Carson Daly, ooh, this is kind of, you know, he, here's a kid who had a show at, what, when did a show go on, 1.30? Yeah, yeah well, 1.30. <laughs> having, having a show at 1.30 is almost exactly like not having a show. <laughs> the difference between having a show and having one at 1.30, eh, just about like that. <laughs> so cruel, but it's so Ouch. true. Uh, but so accurate true. for me. I mean, yes, that's that's what I think is, is astonishing. Carson Daly, if you bring his name up to anyone our age, TRL, MTV, he did exponentially more episodes of this show for exponentially longer. And people like JR don't even know it ever happened with, with remnants of the monoculture out there. And I can totally understand it. Just But a, a safe choice for a talk show, because it was I think he was literally a talk show, not much for monologues, gags. I'm talking it's, with guests. It's pretty much just one-on-one -on -one with a guest. Yeah, like a podcast that, that before a podcast. That's, there, there's an exercise. Anybody in the Facebook group or in the comments, please give us the highlights for Last, last Call with Carson Daly or Later with Carson Daly. I, I tried to look that up Me on too. YouTube, and there's no like big compilation that I could like immerse myself in the Carson Daly-verse. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tragic. I always say there's got to be that Venn diagram Somebody who cares so much about Carson Daly, they were recording his episodes with maybe early DVR or videotape, and then that has to overlap with someone who knows how to use YouTube, and that's going to be the tricky part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Is this, is this the big game this week? Video games of 2002? Rez! <laughs> What's your AKA here? Would you like to play video games while on shrooms? The video game yes. is my <laughs> AKA. This <laughs> is... What I think one of the first psychedelic video games. It starts off with the sexiest polygons the PS2 could deliver. Mm. And it's really one of the start of artistic games with an artistic style, which is really weird because it's an on-rail shooter, but it's got this techno street rave vibe going down. And it was actually a flop at the time, but it's became a bit of a cult classic since then uh when it was released in japan though it came with a vibrator and uh <laughs> controller uh kind of yeah <laughs> but in the early days of the internet 2002 a blogger named gamer girl advance wrote an article on how she used that vibrator with her boyfriend in an erotic manner while he was playing the video game she was putting the vibrator in mm. where you'd expect her to. So, uh, and this was big on the internet in 2002 because <gasps> sex in video games? Yeah. My monocle is going to pop off. <laughs> oh, my pearls. Uh, and the creator denies that he ever intended that to be the purpose. And I can see that. But yeah, it was a thing. Yeah, it is 
I think he wanted to achieve a form of interactivity. I think they finally got to do with the game because it's now available in VR, mm-hmm. which I think is sort of how it was meant to be played. If you would like an anecdote, personally, I went and got a job at a gaming editorial site, Games Radar, and the first sentence I remember being said by Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Raparez, I'm starting first day as an intern, is he's reading an article by a coworker and he turns it around. He's like, do you really think the music in Res is pedestrian? I'm like, I couldn't even listen to the argument. I'm like, I'm going to like working here. This is, this is, this is a, great, <laughs> a great conversation for nine o'clock in the morning for, for a game that's already several years old at this point. So there's no reason to talk about it. Yeah, Res has been re-released since then in HD format. So you can get that if you want better Resolution. Low. Dad jokes. Very recommended. You're going to get them. Oh, Res Infinite. Is that what the PS4 VR package is called? All right. Yeah. And then let's close out 2002, California by Phantom Planet. Is that Max Fisher's band? This is crazy pants, all right? Because there's a lot of songs in the Orange County soundtrack. And I watch the credits. I'm a good person like that. I appreciate those workers. And they started playing California by Phantom Planet in the credits. And I'm like, excuse me, Google, Google, Google. The show The OC debuts in a year and a half. Don't call this it is that. its theme song. It takes place in Orange County. And yes, The OC, no one has ever called it that in the history of mankind. <laughs> but I found that very interesting. The two things about one particular county, both just like, yes, this this captures our feelings. Because I, I was pretty astonished by that revelation as well. Because essentially both are titled... Orange County, Orange County and contain this song. But let's we'll close out with the OC theme song. Stop calling it that. Uh, and we'll be back with the final segment, 2012, baby. Our first full 2012 segment. Don't move. To shadow is a ton. Driving down the 101. California, here we come. Right back where we started from. California. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. No, we're just out of a screening of Spider-Man No Way Home, and I'm here with the most knowledgeable man I know in the field of all things Spider-Man. Chris Baker, how you doing, buddy? Uh, you're too kind. Thank you, Chris. I couldn't get tickets at all for the Thursday screening. As the Spider-Man tickets sold out real fast, crashed AMC's website. And I asked around, does anybody want to see Spider-Man at 1 p.m. on Friday? Because <laughs> it's like, I'm not dodging spoilers again. I'm just not. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i go with you again right. on Saturday whenever you can do it, but I'm going to experience this fresh. Super important to me. And I'm, I like that the hype for this movie was like through the roof. But when I saw Endgame... I think it, I was talking to you about it. Like, I didn't... The trailer only showed, like, the first 40 minutes of the movie. I had no no idea what oh, yeah, Endgame yeah. was even going like, to be about. Time travel and all that was, like, completely left right. out of the... I, I, yeah. I, I read your movie sites and all that stuff, but I'm really good at avoiding spoilers. But, like, dude, the Spider-Man stuff just crept over into everything. And when I finally walked out of the movie, I'm like... Yeah, other than the post credit scene, like, that, all of that. All of that was spoiled for me, like... 
naturally on Facebook. Man, they broke through. I got hit by every spoiler. It was still, it, you need to see it, even if it's been spoiled. Certain details have been spoiled for you. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner, where we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of January 7th through the 13th, an easy call with a giant content warning on it because, yeah, too hot for Britain, I'll call this segment, because 50 years ago this week saw the release of Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, starring Malcolm McDowell and also Patrick McGee, and um, also the Darth Vader is actually in it. Yeah, I mean, not the character, the guy who played Darth Vader. But uh, yeah, Clockwork Orange, way the fuck ahead of its time when it comes to the sex and the ultraviolence and might have had some sort of copycat violence. And so it was pulled voluntarily from Britain and you could not see it until like a couple of years ago. I remember hearing about a movie theater in Calais just off just on the other side of the English Channel in France where it's like they would just run it. So film nerds would go over for the day just to watch it and then buy cheap duty free booze and then and then come back. But uh, yeah, Clockwork Orange is, it still blows my mind that it's technically a 1971 film because the the style of the filmmaking is just, I don't, I don't know. It feels like maybe the late 80s, early 90s. It's just, it's, I mean, it's graphic. There is violence, a ton of violence. There is sexual violence. It has a message which can be interpreted in many ways of whether, you know, the state can fix people or it can't. Whose fault is juvenile delinquency? I mean, it's iconic in so many shots in so many ways. So if it's been a long time or you've never bothered with A Clockwork Orange, just, yeah, go for it. You know, it's it's an important film, even though it is a unpleasant film on purpose. You're not supposed to be having fun and enjoying yourself. And if you are having fun and enjoying yourself, um, therapy probably be a good <laughs> idea for you. Yeah, think about therapy because violence is bad, guys. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's it. Easy call. I feel like every college guy has seen this a thousand times. So maybe go back and watch it again, you know, with fresh eyes. Clockwork Orange, 1971. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. I'm sexy and I know it. Coming into 2012 with a LMFAO bullet, Sexy and I Know It, which it's number one this week, but like this song has had astounding longevity and it's, I wish I could compliment it more, but it is in like almost every commercial you still see to this day, like after 10 Well, it fills a niche. Mm -hmm. How many songs are out there glorify male looks? male sexuality. I guess so. Not having hmm. sex, not being like, I'm going to have sex with this pretty lady, yeah. but I am a sexy being. How many songs about the male yeah, gender? Like Wright said Fred person? and that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm too sexy. Yeah. And that's that been around for almost 30 years. So, yeah. yeah, we need a new one. Yeah. Do we? I... <laughs> yeah. 
know. We we need something that we have a cutaway to in an ad for a children's animated film that is funny because that shouldn't be in a children's animated film. That singing pig is suddenly dancing around town sexy and I don't know it. Hey. Is, is well, that, that if that pig is sexy? Is that you where know? I'm when seeing this? Exactly. The, 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 is the Sing 2 trailer bombarding me with this to this day? Is that what's happening? I, Probably. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's got to be. I don't know exactly <laughs> what it is, but I feel like I hear this song in some background, some ad I'm not looking at every day, every but single day. This is something I notice with music. Every year in the Billboard Top 100 list, there's dozens of songs about love is nice love mm-hmm. is a good thing i like love and mm-hmm. those songs some of them stick most of them don't because there's just so many songs about that topic but if you get a song that covers a very specific thing yeah that most songs don't cover yeah that's a song that's got a better chance of sticking around long term just because it fills the niche that most songs don't you hear yeah. you hear that wap haters <laughs> W-A-P. Oh. Sorry. Yes, I okay. I I really wish they would say it WAP and not WAP. Hey, look who you're talking to. Chrissy Antista over here getting offended like a movo. Right. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> LMFAO again. What did you? What you, you gave me a, a fact what I didn't know about them. Did you say they're, they're uncle and nephew? Yeah, duo? they're an uncle and nephew. <laughs> I did not know the that. son and grandson of Barry Gordy, founder of Motown Records. Wow. That's very 2012, as is some new releases that we have, such as Rich Forever by Rick Ross. Maybe don't title your album that if you live in the topsy-turvy world of music licensing. Uh, Rich Forever? I don't know. Given to the Wild by the Maccabees, Future This by the Big Pink, and American Weekend, uh, the debut of... Oh my God! Do I have to say this? Should I know this word? You should probably know this word because you're from Florida. This seems like a. This is what all the towns yeah. around my hometown or na- well, hometown of Tallahassee, which is you forget, is a very, very Native American word. Yeah, Ruined. Waxahachie. Wax- Waxahachie. Waxahachie. Yeah. We live near Appalachie and Chattahoochee, and all of these beautiful long Native words are now synonymous with me, white rednecks. That's exclusively what they mean to me now. I cannot believe it. Little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2012. Oh, boy. Costa Concordia runs a a ground and capsizes in Italy, killing 32. Yep. I I don't know this story. Is this a... You don't remember this story? Because that boat sat there for like two years before they could figure out how to move it. Yeah, Costa Concordia is a cruise ship. It was going, you know, along the Mediterranean, sort of up the coast of Italy. 4,000 people aboard, guests and staff. And the captain decides, like, we're supposed to go kind of in the middle here, but let's go over, get closer to that island. That's pretty cool, right? So he gets closer to the island. The water's too shallow. They hit a bunch of rocks. I do remember this now. Rips a big chunk in it. The boat goes sideways. First it lifts one way, then it lifts the other. It drifts for a little bit. Then it goes full on its side, and uh, they have to evacuate everyone. 32 people didn't get off. And then later a diver died, I think, while they were trying to refloat the boat. The captain was not the last guy on board. The captain (laughs) buggered off pretty quickly. Um, uh, Also, there was total disarray. Like, no one knew what they were doing. They, They were like, oh, no, everything's fine. You can all go back to your cabins. Oh, wait, no, put on your life vests. Now we're not going to launch lifeboats. Okay, maybe we will. And, and just, yeah, no one, like, did their job or was in charge. And a whole bunch of people got charged with stuff. Uh, the captain was found guilty of manslaughter, and he will be in prison for 16 years. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. He done fucked up. He was he was off course, fucking around. Okay. If, anybody, thing, if anybody's listening to this in his prison, right. if you're his cellmate, <laughs> please walk up to him when he gets in and says, I am the captain now. 
Oh man, that'd be great. <laughs> oh my yeah, god. It it was it was yeah, it's it was a shitstorm. It was like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. There was allegedly the music playing in like the restaurant or something right when they made the announcement was my heart will go, go on. on. Yeah. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was a terrible disaster. Uh 32 people died and that boat just sat there for so long because it was sort of resting on the bottom but like on a ridge. And it kept sliding towards the ridge, and they're like, oh, shit, it's going under. And Yeah. But, uh, yeah, eventually they refloated it and uh, scrapped it. <laughs> Cost them something like $3 billion. I was going to – it's going to be a real tragedy if the boat survived this. Yeah, that would <laughs> that would suck. That would be terrible. I'm not getting on that boat. The opposite of poetic. And movies of 2012. Ooh, a bunch of stuff I wouldn't watch. They were made of water, and my eyes were on fire. <laughs> First, we got Roseanne Arquette, Ashton Holmes, Abby Th- Thixon. Mm! I don't know what she looks like. I just like her name. Michael Eklund, Ivan Gonzalez, Courtney B. Vance, Melo Vintima... <laughs> Jesus. Vintimiglia? Vintimiglia? I'll say that. Michael Bean, Lauren German, The Divide. A, a crowd favorite, The Divide, everyone. Yeah, this another one where it's like, oh, this is a good idea for a movie, and it sounds like the execution was off. Mm-hmm. It's torture porn. This is torture porn. Right. Um, the plot is that a atomic bomb goes off in a New York City skyscraper. They run to the basement where the super has a bunker, and they're all trapped there. That's an awesome premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could have such a great movie about that if you had human beings as characters. <laughs> this <laughs> does not have human beings as characters. Uh. The, the ratio of human beings to inhuman douchebag is just off the charts. But are they saying something about humanity? (sighs) Because, I mean, that's kind of how things would go down. You throw a bunch of people in the bunker. Yeah, some of the people are going to immediately turn into assholes. Yeah, yeah, but they don't have any good sense of progression. No one's a surprise. The course of the degradation doesn't seem natural. It's like everyone just goes crazy without the slow psychological buildup where you really feel like you're trapped with these people. Mm. That never happens. You know that feeling in the thing when you Mm -hmm. feel like, wow, I'm really paranoid here. You don't get that here at all. And this Mm. could have been a real life thing, but it was just wasted potential. Ah, so we should watch Cube? Yeah. (laughs) Or the the goddamn thing. It's a perfect winter movie. It's a goddamn thing. I, I, I was very, very entertained if you didn't see this Christmas they turned a publicity shot from the thing into like Merry Christmas from the whole family. Like, <laughs> wonder, very creative. But uh, yeah, in the current climate, if you're really looking to watch people be trapped in a house with people they don't want to be trapped in, just look outside your window because yeah. probably just, that's the case. It's probably already you. Polar opposite, hard pivot into a feel good musical comedy drama. Also with Courtney B. Vance. Oh, busy boy. Hey, busy uh, week. Chris Christopherson, Courtney B. Vance, Paul Wolfhook, guessing the pronunciation there, Dexter Darden, Kiki Palmer, Jeremy Jordan, Dolly Parton, and Queen Latifah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Joyful Noise. You want to join the choir? Yes, ma'am. You just want to be near my little girl. Don't deny him. Just because he's my grandson. They couldn't be more different. Infallible. Unlovable. Quit it with those nails, Edward Scissorhands. But they will come together. Our town needs to win. To help a small town choir. Find its voice. We are going to go out there and win this thing. Joyful noise. Would it would it surprise any of you if like it was revealed Dolly Parton is 
never existed and has been like a CGI robot this whole time. Every time I see her, it, it feels like, uh, how do we still have her? And is she still, she's still doing all this. I, I know I've told that, tell that story a lot. I saw her not against my will necessarily, but like I had free tickets to go see her in concert less than like, like five years ago. She played, she did, she did like 90 wardrobe changes, sang her version of songs and her favorite covers of her songs and switched, I think 20 instruments piano banjo she played yakety sax on the saxophone and then spun around and did it backwards <laughs> and and she's in her 70s and every time i see her i'm like this sounds like an impression of dolly parton <laughs> but it is really her that's really how she sounds it's adorable and, and i say all that knowing full well this movie is not for me at all it's yeah well i'm shocked to realize oh wait no this came out before pitch perfect because like because if you look at the posters they look exactly the same they look very the same but glee is huge right now mm-hmm. and so yeah this seems like the perfect idea for a movie that it's about you know the this choir and you know they're kind of being forced to be very old-timey and stuff and it's like but they just want to make the town happy because the town's hit hard times and then it's like the old way versus cool. the new way and then, oh we can work together and yeah and you have two like ridiculously charismatic people. It, I mean, Queen Latifah, I we just love on this show, mm-hmm. but Dolly Parton, who's a goddamn saint mm-hmm. and is like the only person in the world that we all agree with. Like yeah. everyone loves her, no matter what your background, no matter what kind of music you like, no matter what your political affiliation, religious affiliation, everybody fucking loves Dolly. I, I always say this. If you, I lived in the Bay area for over a dozen years, yet the most diverse event i ever attended was a dolly parton concert <laughs> it was i could see that incri- I, yeah. yeah i went to hip-hop shows no it was dolly parton like so yeah. many different nationalities backgrounds yeah and economic- I, I gotta plug one more time i hate plugging other podcasts but dolly parton's america podcast entirely about yeah what what is it about her that like and yeah. some of it she's just very smart and very she's very canny and she's smart wants, and talented and yeah. kind and caring. It's yeah, a, yeah. yeah. It's a, she just wants she just wants to spread love to there's, everyone. There's a billion ways to no look up what. to her if you like entrepreneurship, if you enjoy charity, yeah. if you enjoy music, if you enjoy just the human I loved seeing her in concert. She's she's like, "Ah, uh, Nora Jones covered this song, but I just like the way she did it better." So that's I started performing it the way she did it cuz I thought she did a great <laughs> job with my song. Like, I don't know, I've just never seen a human being act like that. <laughs> I like her so, version of me better. <laughs> so her acting in this film is pretty good. She's playing a Dolly-like yeah. character, though. Which is generally what she does. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. does give and, me like a Hallmark vibe for some reason. Well, what's interesting is this could have been very more Hallmarky than it is because mm-hmm. it's set in a hall small town but it's not this hallmark small town where you own an independent bookstore and you have a million dollar mansion and everyone's <laughs> smiling and no one's ever heard of meth uh, this, <laughs> this is a small town that is on the ropes they mm. are not doing good the church is one of the uh, last remaining social institutions for people in this town. And I looked it up on any given Sunday, 60 million Americans attend church. Now, that's a large number of people doing something 
once a week. And there's, for most of those people, a lot of those people, church is a huge part of their social life. Mm-hmm. And we don't see many movies about that. Even though it's it's very waved into the fabric of many people's lives, it's not something that's really explored in cinema that much. And this film does take us in there. And, you know, you can make the point that these are Christians who are not behaving in a Christian manner, but they're also humans who are behaving very humanly. You know, they mm-hmm. care about their own internal uh, concerns. And in this case, they're caring deeply about winning a gospel competition. And that's where the strife and conflict between Queen Latifah and Dolly Parton is coming in, the ah, old and the new. To get to regionals, yeah. I see. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it's, it's totally yes. a, uh, we need to get to regionals. That community clip should be inserted uh, here. It works literally perfectly. means glee. It's, sorry, <laughs> I watched it like twice during Christmas. Uh, yeah. The, no, I mean, is... overall, I found it I, I found the movie pretty pleasant, you know, I mean, there aren't, it's not like there's a big plot twist that I didn't think was going to happen, you know, mm. you know where this is going to go, but it's pleasantly done. It's, you know, it's light, it moved. It's just, yeah, yeah it's no exactly surprises. what you want. Yeah, no, no surprises. There was one surprise, though. Mm-hmm. In a scene where Dolly Parton is talking to the young boy and he's saying like, well, how did you uh, get that to happen? And Dolly Parton just licks her lips in a very seductive manner. And <laughs> I watched that scene and I can't interpret it any other way than <laughs> it implying that Dolly used sexuality uh, mm. to get what she wanted. It's you watch the scene. I don't see how you interpret it any other way. Mm. Mm. I think that's the one thing I don't think about anymore involving Dolly Parton is uh, sex. It's one of those things that's just so odd and charming about her is that she's like cartoonishly sexy, mm-hmm. but you can't really think about her fucking. Yeah. Even though you're you talking, know, you're talking. It just, it just tastefully fades out in my head. To, I swear to God, I feel like I grew up in the internet age, but there is also a side of me that very much on a recess yard, paid $5 for a ripped-out magazine photo of Dolly Parton naked, which I taped to the bottom of the trunk. I hid my candy and fireworks. And to this day, I don't know what it was because it was from a magazine, but Dolly Parton never posed nude for anything. So I don't know what it was or why, but I pay, a kid was selling torn-out nude photos for $5. And I... God! I feel, I, it I, makes I me feel so old. When- when Dolly Parton appeared on SNL mm-hmm. and they like had the cameraman get up to do a cleavage shot of her <laughs> as part of the SNL skit. And I remember as like a whatever very young kid being like, yes, yes, Dolly, that this, is exactly it. <laughs> this should win two Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> or should I say Golden Globes? Oh, God. Oh! Oh! I feel like... I feel like it would be way more controversial if I made that awesome joke, but I'm glad that you didn't do it. <laughs> okay, you want to hear my segue? Yes, I So love Dolly to. has girl boss energy, mm. and, but it's uncontroversial. Let's talk about another girl boss. Oh, boy. <laughs> Alexandria, Alexandra Roach, Anthony Head, Richard E. Grant, Olivia Coleman, Jim Broadbent, and Merle Streep, once again playing the leader of a nation. Sorry, I just watched. You know what I just watched. The Iron Lady, ladies and gentlemen. We shall never give in. Her courage. Lady Thatcher. This government has failed. It's undeniable. Many men have underestimated me before. Her methods. Yes, the medicine is harsh. 
were controversial. Sink it. One of the most extraordinary actresses of our time brings to the screen one of the most powerful women of all time. Time Magazine raves Meryl Streep gives the best performance of the year. Shall we join the ladies? The Iron Lady, rated PG-13. Nope. She always gives the best performance of the year. It's just, it's almost yeah. uninteresting. Yeah, so this, oh man, I put off watching this because uh, fuck Margaret Thatcher. Fuck her all I, the way to hell. I gotta say, I, I, I gotta I say. I hate Margaret Thatcher. I know surprisingly, people on the show know I'm an idiot, so I guess I shouldn't say surprisingly. <laughs> like I know surprisingly little about Margaret Thatcher, except the music, comedy, literature, and comic <laughs> books fucking hate her. Every single <laughs> thing I've grown up with. Oh, yeah. From, like, yeah. yeah from, from Joe Strummer to Alan Moore, scathing reviews of the, whatever this woman was. So like I yeah. had no interest in seeing a movie that... I don't know, maybe, what do you call that? Not idolized her, but like reveres her. Yeah, and that's what I was curious. How are they going to do this? And there are a lot of warts on it. They they do not make her a perfect person. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that they do spend, you know, a fair amount of time on her doing shit that just hurts people. I mean, she was basically Reagan, but in a lot of ways worse. And one thing that they do, and Meryl Streep plays it amazingly, is that they spend a lot of time with her in her last days where she had dementia. And that Again, like to Reagan. me was a very interesting choice. Um, right. Because you can't Margaret... help but sympathize a little bit. Right. Because Jesus you know, Christ. Everyone's going to age or you're going to die before you age. If mm-hmm. you don't die early, you're going to grow old. You're going to face the challenges Ugh. of elderhood. By starting off with Margaret Thatcher, formerly a very powerful woman, now in a position of near powerlessness, you know, losing mm. control of her own mind, mm. that can't help bring the audience into a certain frame of mind. But my big problem with this movie is the Dewey Cox problem. They <laughs> decide... To show the wrong prime minister dad life. Uh huh. Um, this sure is a dark fucking period of my life. But yeah, they got to do the greatest hits, though. I mean, it would be nice they if they if could. They... they could handle. Mm-hmm. How did Margaret Thatcher become the first elected woman in the Western world to a large nation? You know, that's mm-hmm. that would be a very interesting story. How did Margaret Thatcher win the Falklands War? That's mm-hmm. a good story. Yeah. How did Margaret Thatcher win a general strike uh, over the coal miners? That could be a story. How yeah. did Margaret Thatcher lose power in her own party when she had accomplished all that? That could be a great story. You try to tell all those stories at the same time mm-hmm. that you're telling her battle with dementia, it spreads it over. We don't get any of the background mm. to the Falklands War, to the miners' strike, nah. to anything that she actually did. And to me, that lessens. You tell mm-hmm. one instance in her life, and then we can expand from that one instance however we choose. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting to watch this, though, pretty recently having watched the last season of The Crown, mm-hmm. which has Margaret Thatcher and covers a lot of these same incidents. I appreciate uh, Gillian Anderson's performance, but she's more of a caricature than Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep feels like a real person. And I wish, I mean, the thing that I find so fascinating about Margaret Thatcher that they is in the movie, but you probably just should make the movie just this one thing is that she's not just the first female British prime minister. She's the first middle-class prime Mm. minister. Yes. I, I was reading interviews and they said that when Meryl Streep interviewed the ministers who worked with Margaret Thatcher, she asked, was it more important that Margaret Thatcher was a woman 
or that she came from the lower middle class. And every one of them said it was far, far bigger that she came from the lower middle class mm -hmm. than it was that she was a woman. And that could be a story. You could That's tell a, a story, story. Mm -hmm. about yeah. a woman who maybe thinks being a woman is going to be her biggest hurdle to overcome, but then it's class. Mm -hmm. That could be a great story. Yeah. And so... What what I just find so interesting about her is that, you know, she comes from, you know, such an unlikely place and really like just through force of will and, you know, the strength of her character claws her way, you know, and she gets a couple lucky breaks and, and then, you know, she ends up as the prime minister and then she spends her entire time as prime minister making it harder for other people to do that exact same thing. Her whole big thing is bootstrapping. Like, if you just try hard enough, if you just have enough grit and character, you can make anything of yourself. And it's like, you're prime minister, and you had to work five times as hard as an upper-class man to get that job. Maybe you should make it so people have to work twice as hard instead of five times. Like, maybe a rising tide could lift all boats instead of basically, well... You're on your own. It's a jungle out there. I did it, so everyone should be able to do it. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, that's not how it works. That doesn't that's seem... not how any of this works. If you want to make everything math, that is a math problem that doesn't work. <laughs> no, no, it, it doesn't work. So, yeah, we get the greatest hits of understanding, yeah, how can someone who, you know, his dad owns a grocery store, you know, claw their way into the corridors of power and, you know, and, and by all accounts, she and her husband really did have a wonderful marriage. And they do a great job with that. You know, you really do feel for her that she lost her husband and now she's losing her mind and she keeps forgetting that he's dead and he keeps hanging around and talking to her. Uh, Jim Broadbent's wonderful because he's always wonderful. Do so you think they chose to kind of humanize her that way because this is the story of a female in power? Maybe they were worried that they couldn't just have it be the story of a female ruler. It had to be the female's ruler's emotional journey. Mm, not really. I think that's just sort of a trope because if he, if she were a man, there would be the scene with the wife of like, I'm with you all the way. I believe in you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go too. And we'll do this together. Yes, but I think that would be one scene. It is the mm. dominant scene. There are more scenes of her being old in this film yeah. than there are scenes of her being young. Yeah, good point. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I was surprised to find out that uh, her children thought that the movie was too liberal hmm. and that it was too rough on her. And I was like, wow, because I came out with that feeling like it really, really tried hard to humanize her. But then she's, you know, a person who could fall into caricature. You know, she's a very she has a very distinctive look. She's a very distinctive sound. Part you know? of that was self-created, you know. Yeah, uh, and it's self-created. It's leaning in. The whole name, the yeah. Iron Lady, was a article published in a Soviet newspaper. Oh. And she read about it and she just totally played up. If they want to call me the Iron Lady, mm -hmm. so be it. And so to some degree, her character nature was partly her own creation. Not 100%, yeah. but definitely partly. Yeah, I think they, they, they don't say that directly in the movie, but they definitely imply a lot of it's like, well, you can't be a big authoritative man, but you can be the scary headmistress of a school. <laughs> you can be mummy. Yep angry mummy who's gonna go yell at those coal miners yes i shut all your coal mines down but just go get other jobs <laughs> like there aren't any mm. you suck oh iron lady man yeah 
it's like I don't know if I can fully recommend it. I mean, Meryl Streep's performance though is it's fucking great, and it's how oh, good it's, is it? Well, it evolves over time. You know, <laughs> she starts out as a much softer person, still, I mean, a hard fucking person, but you see her get meaner and meaner as it goes on in just little tiny behavioral things. You can see her just become a hardened person. Become become Walter White right in front of your eyes. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's like I was so just... she never started out as like a nice school teacher, but yeah, I, you can see her just in as her her mannerisms change as the movie goes on until she's just like fuck. That's one giant bitch. I, I was, Get away from me! I was setting you up to say she won her third Oscar. She did. She won her this. third Oscar. And I remember being angry about it. She got up on stage and pretty much made a joke about about how all of us were feeling. Like I, I'm happy I got this. Please be happy for me too. I, I know, <laughs> I know, I have two of these already, but I feel this is so. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something so, like her seventeenth nomination. She's had a jillion nominations. Yes. It looks like Catherine Hepburn is Has the four. record holder for four. Wow. So yeah. one more. I think she's got one more in her. Got, oh, oh yeah. yeah, totally. I don't want to talk about the next movie at all. <laughs> no. It's boring. No, uh, I don't Forgettable. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, William Lucking, Ben Foster, Diego Luna, Just Kidding Simmons, Kate Beckinsale, Lucas Haas, Giovanni Ribisi, Caleb Landry-Jones, and Marky Mark Wahlberg. It's number one at the box office. <laughs> but is, do we have any proof of that? It's contraband. <laughs> <laughs> You a world-class smuggler. You a Houdini, man. I got two kids now. My cowboy days are over. You can't just walk away. You think you're the only guy with a gun? We're going to war. Say goodbye to your wife. Blood in the air, bleed blood on the ground. I'm coming. I'm coming for you. Contraband. Rated R. January 13th. Contraband. Yeah, I forgot this movie existed. Why should I care? I watched this movie for this podcast, and then I forgot it existed. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> only ninety five percent joking there. Like, there's, there's... I, I can tell you almost nothing, and I watched it two days ago. I can <laughs> say that of all the Icelandic remakes I've ever seen, <laughs> this is one of them. What? Because this this is this is a remake of that classic 2008 film Reykjavik Rotterdam. Reykjavik Rotterdam. Reykjavik Rotterdam. Yes, yes, starring Baltasar Kumakar. Of course. Yes, Mm -hmm. good old Baltasar. You know. But uh, yeah, yeah. Marky Mark is a smuggler who sucks at his job, (laughs) and he's got to go back to Panama to do one last. Uh, I'm sorry, I fell Wake asleep up, telling the plot. Wake up. Uh, Wait, We got to talk about contraband. Wait, oh no, he's been forced to do one last job, and oh, if he doesn't do it, they're going to hurt his wife. You son of a bitch, I'll get you for this. There, yeah. If there's a genre of movies I hate even more than uh, small town choir movies, Mark Wahlberg standing with a gun on the poster movies. Like, <laughs> I, I just, I cannot give a shit. All those movies are the exact same. Mark Wahlberg movies yeah. in general. And it was a, a guy I say with, like, no hate in my heart for the man. Except for, you know, the hate crime. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And he should have he stopped 9-11. I don't know why he didn't he, do that. Yeah, well, he wasn't on the plane. Look, he would have. I don't know. He's, 
Yeah, sure no, I feel there. bad because there's like so many good actors in here that's like, again, I'm happy you got a paycheck. Like, we never see Lucas Haas anymore. Yeah, I know. Little kid from Witness. I love that guy. <laughs> I love Rabisi. I love Diego Luna, Ben Foster. God damn it. Someone give him better roles. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. And all the reviews are the same of just like, well, that existed. It's, I think it's why I say every time I come across like Lord of the Rings still number at the box office because like that feels right a crowd pleasing hit my friends and family are talking about and then we enter an era 10 years later we're like all I do is talk about pop culture nobody I know has seen contraband and the internet <laughs> is not speaking of it who is still watching these movies it's confusing it's confusing and I know now having been back to Florida very high placement on a Walmart kiosk. That's pro- that's uh. a lot of a lot of how they get seen because there's a lot of movies I like that I'll never see on that kiosk. Anyway, contraband recommend Jr. Uh, no, God uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Ebert and Peter Travers are none too kind. Of course, good mm. lord. And but number one at the box office because you're seeing a slow degradation. Well, I mean, it's better than the Devil Inside. That's you got a bunch of messages of people saying, like, that literally is the worst movie I've ever seen. Like, oh, <laughs> shit. Man, and when I talked about that Venn diagram of oh, fan fandom meeting technology, mm-hmm. early on in the show, I had a really hard time researching soap operas. Like, you would assume with the fervent fandom, like, somebody would be keeping up with this stuff in detail. Even what happens in a season, and, like, nope, no information whatsoever, and uh, we were talking off mic about like disappearing media, the soap opera in general, but one life to live ends after 44 years and over 11,000 episodes. And there's, uh, there is a part if of me. You watched one episode a day. <laughs> it would take you 29 years to watch every episode of this soap opera. Oh, wow. You know what they should do though? Here's something I would totally watch. If they, started re-airing it from the beginning i would love to watch a soap opera from 1968 no you wouldn't well i would watch five minutes a day (laughs) okay that i could see a youtube channel it's just hour-long soap operas condensed into five minutes oh that'd be great yeah yeah just to do the the summary version yeah of every episode starting in like 1968 i oh my god yes yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I don't have the time to do that. Someone do that. And it's just, it's. Just, I think we covered that a few, like a year or so ago. Like the 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 market for the soap opera just. I don't want to say it evaporated. It just it evolved into you know drama is drama. But like we had a soap opera channel that was re-airing these shows, and that has disappeared too. That to me, SoapNet feels modern, and it's been <sighs> gone for how long? Twenty eleven. Because it's it's not that good of drama. With yeah. the invention of DVDs and then streaming, most people now have more good, high-quality drama than they True. can consume. So you don't need to just turn on the TV and have your really low-quality drama delivered to you because you can spend that time on better drama. And, and that's the part of me that doesn't mourn the loss of fan, the fandom for this and the archival nature of it because there is a built-in disposability to a, oh. something with hmm. this much content. Yeah, and it was never meant to be preserved. I mean, yeah. soap opera was filmed one and done, and you move on. It's still, know? it's I still find that insane because you know it'll take like two and a half years to get ten episodes of Better Call Saul, but somewhere on a New York soundstage, they're making an hour a day 
with multiple <laughs> actors. <laughs> just holy shit, how is this even being done? So I, I looked up the last episode of One Life to Live on YouTube. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I just skimmed through it, and it ends on a cliffhanger. Oh damn! So, <laughs> so if you know... want to bring back One Life to Live, you know you can just pick up right where it left do off. You, do you have any idea how many views that YouTube video had? I can tell you in one sec. Three hundred and six thousand views. That's not, not insignificant, bad. but it does feel kind of like a whimper for forty-four. 44- <laughs> Here's some content to have. I'm I'm just looking right now at like how many soap operas are on TV right now, like and one? how many did there used to be on TV? There are four. Wow. In the U.S. now, what Young and the Restless, for? Bold and the Beautiful, General Hospital, and Days of Our Lives. I've heard of every one of those. Yeah. Yep. And they've all been on for like 50 years. Mm-hmm. I think Bold and the Beautiful might be the youngest of, of the bunch. And then other places, people still love Neighbors, Coronation Street. Those popular. They've been going for 90 damn years. How else are attractive Australians supposed to get their first jobs? Moving on to an episode I don't want to talk about at all, because I didn't watch it, but there's few things I think The Simpsons handle more poorly than politics. And Mm. the episode Politically Inept with Homer Simpson is out. And Homer goes viral and endorses rocker Ted Nugent for the Republican Party presidential nominee. Which was a parody, just so we're clear. This was meant to be a joke. Um, but it's very much a vision of things to come episode. Yeah. Uh, you can probably write in your head, uh, Homer Simpson ends up being a pundit and makes all sorts of crazy craziness, and it gets very popular. You know, I'm almost leaning towards, I think I like Ted Nugent as a candidate better than I like Trump, because Ted Nugent at least makes it very clear that we've gone to idiocracy, and he's just President Camacho, and I'm... <laughs> Like, I mean, they have yeah, the same hat. There's no deniability, no plausible deniability anymore. They have the same hat. They uh, wear guns like clothes. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I yeah, guess we so. can't even pretend. Oh, he's a businessman. No, looking, he's not. If we're looking to, uh, to, a, to do a full downturn, Ted Nugent, I hate him so much. And, and again, The Simpsons has one of the only good political episodes, Sideshow Bob Roberts, which is like still... <laughs> It's still one of like, the, great, you are skewering both sides in a way that is valid and not totally barbed, but not pulling punches either. I love that episode, but like, I yeah. don't know how you handle this in the modern era. Oh, making God, a... we get to talk about regular Bob Roberts this year. Ooh. That came out just ahead of the 92 election. I love that movie. That's going to feel way too goddamn prescient, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Also, what are you saying that the Simpsons don't do politics well? Didn't they have... President George H.W. Bush say something about, I'm going to ruin you like I ruin a Jap- Japanese banquet. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it all around. Uh, also out this week is something I wish I was watching. Celebrity Wife Swap. I believe the oh, rebranding of regular Wife Swap, not unlike The <laughs> Apprentice. You get celebrities in there to brighten up your uh, flavor. Speaking of flavor, it's Flava Flav and D. Schneider. They are switching... <laughs> Partners, Flava Flav's longtime fiance Liz trades places with Suzette, the wife of Twisted Sister frontman D. Snyder. Good lord. Okay, so here's what I don't get about this show. The prime drama is I am bringing someone into my house who I have never met, who mm-hmm. I have no emotional connection with, and their way of running a household may be different than mine. What are the odds of that? How will we resolve this issue? I I, I don't get the central conflict of this show. (laughs) (laughs) But it's weird because they're so different. I'm surprised to find out this is only the third episode of the show. And the previous episode had our buddy Gary Busey. There he is. True. 
And uh, on this episode, I did learn something. Remember Milo Josevich's age at the filming of Cuffs? Yes. Uh huh. What age do you think D. Snyder's wife was when he met her? Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> oh, no. The same said- age. Oh. He, and no. he says so in this episode. He oh, says no. he met his wife, Suzette, when she was 15. Oh, and dear. he was 21. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Personally, I wouldn't have brought that up. No. But no. he did. He volunteered <laughs> that information. It's on Hulu. On the, sh- on it, the show. You can, see, you can see his admission of guilt on Hulu. It's submitted to, as testimony. Legally admissible evidence. evidence, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> also out... This week, uh, Are You There, Chelsea? The pilot for Chelsea Handler's NBC sitcom based upon Mm -hmm. her book, Are You There, Vodka? It's Me, Chelsea. It's a show about a woman who's a drunken mess. So this is a show that is only available at three-fourths ratio on YouTube (laughs) with a swirling background and the voices (laughs) pitched up about two or three octaves. (laughs) That is the only way you can watch this show Anyway, so hmm. that is the fan base of the show. It's a really pointless sitcom, but your sponsors may be happy because a major plot point in the pilot episode is Chelsea, the protagonist, does not want to have sex with a man unless he shaves his balls. Hell yeah. I oh. am not making that up. All that right. Is, that is a plot point in the pilot. Manscaped. Man, this is, this is when she had the most programs on the air. Holy shit. She's all over the E channel and getting leaking on in the networks. Uh, we also have a premiere of a, I think, a much more well regarded show, Don Cheadle mm-hmm. and Kristen Bell in Showtime's House of Lies. Uh, it premieres on the 8th, 10 years ago. And this is about fast talking consultants who try and convince corporations to spend a fortune on their services. Is this, I got in an argument last night, a pretty, pretty mean one with a friend of mine. Like, uh, he's talking about, yeah, I started rewatching Dexter and I was like, Ew. Why, why would anybody do that? And it, to like, stop at season five <laughs> and pretend that's the end of the show. And, and, and he's like, do that? It's a good series. No, it's good. And like, I mean, some of it is good. Some of, and a lot of it's really, but it's way more bad than good. And then I said, maybe in a drunken rage, all showtime shows are bad. Uh, and I, <laughs> and I was very ready to stand by that. I have uh, showtime shows suck. They are network. A lot they of were, them they are, suck. They are CBS shows with cursing and, write themselves in the holes very frequently in a way that is embarrassing. Well, if Sarah were here, she would definitely stand up for L word and queer as folk. Sure. But... And I will stand up for at least one of them. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'd never seen this show. I only watched the pilot, but the pilot was very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a fast talking characters who are sleazy enough to be interesting, but not so sleazy that I can't enjoy them. There's a really nice bad moment at the end of the pilot episode where Don Cheadle is going to his corporate overlords and saying, I know how to fix your uh, image. And it's, you're going to run a big campaign on how you are going to have loan amnesty. And all the corporate guys roll their eyes. And then Don Cheadle goes, no, 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 wait, hear me out. See, at the first phase, 50% of your applicants will drop out. And then we do this. And then another 50% will do this. And we keep on doing this so that eventually you're only going to have to give 1% of what you promised to give. But by then, you'll have already gotten all of the good publicity, and you'll have taken your bonuses without suffering any political loss. 
And it's just like, okay, you're that type of mercenary and you know where you're going from here. And they didn't try to humanize him. They made him out to be this not great guy. And it was funny and entertaining. Hell yeah. Hmm. And then we got uh, Parks and Recreation this week, the Comeback Kid. <laughs> ben makes claymation. And we have, do we have a clip of this here? We do have a clip. I definitely want to play the cut line. This is a line that did not appear in the episode, but is, I think, the funniest outtake in Parks and Rec <laughs> history. Oh, right. bold. Everyone loves a good comeback story, right? Seabiscuit, The Mighty Duck, Robert Downey Jr., who Rocky, else? yes. Kim Kardashian. Kim, well. In the video, she gets she gets come on her back, I think. <laughs> I've seen this so many times and I still forgot it was coming. I forgot. And you should watch the visual of it because it. it I have. I don't think you you'll ever see the entire cast break character uh, laughing. And Amy Poehler, by the way, SNL roots is cracking up the least, or maybe she mm. just doesn't like yeah. the taste. But the, of the entire joke. crew loses the, it there. You can tell that was not rehearsed. It's yes, incredibly funny. And this whole episode is one of the funniest episodes of Parks and Rec. I think I, mm. this is one I forgot about. Uh, so I was rewatching it and then rewatching it just at the beginning of the pandemic. It was like, I relate to this so much now. The idea of like, yeah, Ben Ben is now out of work and he's literally no idea what to do with himself. <laughs> Make stop animation, which is so hard. Which I've so done. It's, it's, it is so depressing. The opposite of the healthy thing to do. <laughs> yep. and it, but it captures a great thing that's not often seen. Uh, one of my favorite Onion articles of all time is area man hitting GameCube pretty hard lately. And it's all <laughs> about a depressed guy who instead of falling into drugs and alcohol is falling into his GameCube. And uh, this episode is all about Ben who, instead of falling into drugs and alcohol, is falling into his new hobby of claymation. And he he puts in so much time and so much effort, and he thinks it's so awesome, and he compares it to Avatar, and it's like two seconds long of a man standing up to R.E.M.'s stand. And that's it. <laughs> and, then, and then lastly, it's something I never knew existed. No. A, a sequel series to The Firm on NBC? It is a sequel. It's a canonical sequel. If you were ever like, damn, I just saw Tom Cruise take down a mafia law firm. I wonder what he's going to be like 10 years later. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> now, I've seen that movie several times. I don't remember what it's about or what happens. Grisham is hugely pop, like just mainstream popularity. Most people would bargain for the devil for. So yeah. I'm sure people remember what happened in the firm. I just, yeah, I had no idea. Was there a follow-up from Grisham that they're basing no, this off of? No, it, wow. it was just, it's his most famous property. The firm, I mm. think, is his biggest book and biggest movie. What about the and Pelican so client? I'm just, <laughs> just making words up now. <laughs> a time to kill the Pelican client. <laughs> there, it's all of them. But this picks off where the firm left off 10 years later. They've been in witness protection and they figure that the mafia is no longer a thing anymore so they can come out of hiding. <laughs> the episode starts with I'm just going to call him The Firm, whatever Tom Cruise's character's name is. <laughs> uh, the Firm is running across the, the waters at the Washington Mall, you know. Mm -hmm. And you will get arrested and tackled if you do that. But he's just booking across it. And then it flashes back weeks earlier, and we never find out why he was running across the water on the Washington Mall. This is going for some weird thing where it's going to be like, we're going to cover some boring law case 
And then in the last five minutes of the show, we're going to advance this overarching plot where there's a mystery mastermind mm. pulling the strings. And it, the once-a-week case is boring and uninteresting, and the big story book that is supposed to run all season did not draw me in. So, yeah. Maybe that's why it ran good. one season. Uh, yeah. Another reason I to hate never... it is never. Oh, sorry. I'd never heard of it. And then I looked up the reviews and both uh, like almost every review ends up mentioning damages and being like, you wish you was close to damages. You suck. I, I believe community got moved to make way for the firm. Ah. Wow. Oh, is that As why you do. entered mid season? I remember this. Josh Lucas and Molly Parker. I like both of them. Okay. This is, they deserve a better show. Okay, and um, we also have for let's top it off with some games briefly. Amy, a game I don't remember at all, but it was uh, is that 2012 release or 20? Yes, 2012, 2002 release. release. And it was included in the worst games of all time by my former employer, Games Radar, in 2014 and 2017. <laughs> Two years I did not work there. One of my favorite fan games is this from iMockery, I think. Uh, Adobo's Big Adventure. It is a uh, first game that made that that made Jr. Yeah, you should read that. <laughs> so life. this is the first game that made me realize that the fan community could take games and mix them together because it starts off as a double dragon game, but pretty soon you every have game. every single NES game you care about, and it does crazy things with the characters. At one point, you are fighting Jaws the NES Jaws shark. <laughs> and then that Jaws shark is eaten by a bigger Jaws shark with freaking <laughs> laser beams on its eyes. It really does go the laser beams on a shark route. And uh, you play various different stages that are like various different NES games. And it's this nostalgic bath that I didn't know was possible before this game. But Star- no Starring one of the silliest looking characters of the entire 8-bit era. Adobo is big, silly, and has a needlessly spherical head. And, and do you know who he's trying to rescue in this game? Who? A bow boy. Oh. <laughs> uh, but this is uh, obviously not officially licensed, so it, you can still play it for free. And I just remember going to conventions around this period. They would be there with a full arcade game, so you could just play this free game for free that gives you wonderfully nostalgic vibes, a competent platformer. From from I'm a, a site I, I grew up reading ROM hack reviews, and they basically make their own giant ROM hack. Uh, very fun story there. I didn't like this game even a little bit, but I will go on record saying it's still one of my favorite titles in the history of pop culture. Choplifter uh, is back, <laughs> baby. I own a Choplifter arcade marquee because I love the title so much. Choplifter HD is Among Us, a 3D remake of the uh, the classic arcade game. It's not good. It has a zombie mode for no reason. Uh, you can explode <laughs> chickens in it, so at least that's something. But the controls are kind of janky, and I couldn't get a handle of it. I was looking for dumb arcade fun, and it didn't deliver. Yeah, that's Man. what I remember. And then last but definitely leastly, are you smarter than a cheerleader? This is the creepiest game I have seen in my life ever, ever, ever. <laughs> I, I swear, I swear to God, you look at the cheerleaders and i'm very much giving quotes here because these are women who are wearing cheerleader outfits that you buy in a discounted bin from a guy who's very sketchy and it looks like it's very much filmed in a hotel room like a creepy porn. hotel room. yeah <laughs> like 
like not the nice hotel room, not even a best Western, not even like, oh, I'm going to slum it a little. Like someone's died in this hotel yeah. room. I think Barton certain. Fink is sleeping next door. And <laughs> I, I just want to like ask these actresses, blink three times if you are being held against your will. Oh my God. <laughs> none of them give a performance that is anything other than yikes. Yeah. Are you smarter than... I can't even believe that exists. Smarter than a cheerleader. Uh, and and that's... <sighs> look, we got a quiz on who was born and who died during this period, but that about wraps up the show. You can check out more at lasertimepodcast.com. Drop a comment. Uh, check out the Facebook community and patreon.com slash lasertime is how you can financially support us, compensate us for our time. We do like making these shows for you, but it is work, and we do appreciate all of our supporters at patreon.com slash lasertime. Thank you for seeing us into a new year, our seventh season. I didn't say that the whole episode. I just had to make a new folder for our seventh season. Holy shit. Die, where can people find more of you? They can find me on the Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, as we continue into... January, where we have either bad movies or really good movies that are held over for wide release. We have a hell of an assortment next week. Did you know that Emilio Estevez, Anthony Hopkins, and Mick Jagger were in a movie together? Uh, is, no, it, is it not I Free did Jack? Not know that. It is Free Jack, okay. and we are talking about it. <laughs> yes. I next mean, week. Uh, then in 2001, we have two movies with the biggest casts of all time. One is Ridley Scott, Adventure in Mogadishu, and one is a Robert Altman movie that is why we have Downton Abbey. I love both of them very much. I know what, I know what this is. And then in 2011, we have one of the worst movies that was ever nominated for Best Picture. Mm. And I'm going to go back and reevaluate it. Ooh. Also, we have an action movie that is really sad now because Gina Carano said shitty things. And she's in a Really good action movie, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh it's gonna be yeah. Such also, a... everyone's dad's favorite album from MTV. This is going to be such a fucking Ooh. weird week. That is so sad. That is yeah. so sad. Oh, no. Oh, God. I can't. I mean, I can't wait. Be here. Patreon.com slash laser type. If I sound like I'm rushing things, it's because we're going right into a 302010 games edition. With the Video Game Apocalypse Boys to go up on Patreon immediately. So check, we'll, we'll give you more bonus content by being a patron. Whew. JR, wait, actually, where can, where can folks find more of you? I am on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. And you can find my podcast, Talking Terrific Television, on any of the podcasting devices you use. Mm-hmm. I've been on Have the show you before. decided what is coming after Sopranos? Sleep. Yay! <laughs> I don't mind if I do. What? Is that a show? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> I get it now. Mm. now. Now moving into the people who died during this period. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's a bummer. In 2001, oh. we lost Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's. He was 69. Dude, they nice. bury him in the square? He was... He was only 69? Dude, he looks very old. much older than that. Oh, my word. <laughs> yep. And we also lost director Ted Demi, who was only 38. Don't do coke and play basketball. Your heart can't take it. <laughs> Jesus. That's what happened. That That's is happened. dumb beyond belief, though. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, it's about where he directed Beautiful Girls, The Raft. We talked about Blow last year, Life with uh, Eddie Murphy. And, and, if, you're, and uh, if you're in any way a, a Dennis Leary fan, and at one time... It was yep. fun to be one, and and he directed No Cure for Cancer. I think one of the best directed. It, it, like I can't listen to that anymore. But then I saw it. I saw it visually. I'm like, this is amazing to watch. 
And I think that's because Ted Demi kind of cut his teeth directing MTV promos. Mm-hmm. And as we talk about MTV's cultural importance, for, and then for some reason they just put Dennis Leary bits on MTV as interstitials. It's MTV is so difficult to talk about. <laughs> like, yeah, why was this stand-up comedian doing stand-up in the middle of these music videos? I don't know. But uh, uh-huh. Yeah, Ted Demi cut his teeth on Yo! MTV Raps. Yeah. He and- directed like a couple years worth of it. <laughs> And uh, it, yeah, just lost it, lost that dude way, way too soon. I was just in Wendy's thinking about like, if you go to Wendy's, the number one is like the Dave's combo. And it's just like, I think he's been unassociated with Wendy's for longer than he was. He's been dead for so long. He's been dead for 20 years, but I think he started doing, he was only doing those commercials for like 10 years, but and I hated them so much. I hate this folksy, slow talking old man. Yeah, I came out with a new burger that's square and it's going to be bacon classic. You'll enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, like, dude, McDonald Land, how can you compete with that? Oh, wait, did I have I said that? Can I say that for the thousandth time? Worked at Wendy's. If you can find it for me, I had to watch a training video. But the, mm. instead of a training video, it was a narrative film where Ronald McDonald was put on trial for the invention of the heat lamp, which keeps <laughs> your burgers stale. Wendy's is made fresh. I'm like, why are you showing this to me? The person least likely to spend money on your food I'm stealing. Show this to the public. <laughs> and I've, I've never seen it since. Anyway, birthday quiz. Birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. I just have to say, again, RIP Betty White. That totally screwed up my plans for birthday quizzes in the future. Because obviously she's about to turn 100. That would have been next week. And I, I'm angry about it. But as many people have pointed out, she died in 2021 so that 2022 wouldn't get off to a bad start. And I appreciate and that. The thing I like to tell everyone is live your life so that if you reach 99 years, people will say it wasn't enough. Amen. Mm. And I All like right. to say I'll never work in print again because the cover of People magazine. Oh, yeah. Holy Lord. That oh, lead time is yeah, incredible. Yeah, they put out a cover. It's like, Betty at 100 because they oh. do these things in advance. Oh. So, so very far in advance. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about someone else who had a pretty long life but still left us too soon at 69. Yes. I mean, nice. I mean, four, I mean, smoke it. This would have been his 75th birthday this week, born January 8th, 1947 in Brixton, London, to a waitress and a guy who worked for a children's charity. His dad brought home some American 45s, and he said hearing Little Richard sing Tutti Frutti was hearing the voice of God. Uh, is it a Beatle? No. no. We've done all the Beatles now. I'm not okay. going to do any more Beatles. Okay. You promise. Okay. I promise. Although, no, I should do Pete Best just to uh, I was oh, going to say Pete Best. <laughs> Uh, anyways, Kid formed his first band at 15 and went to a technical school that was run by Peter Frampton's dad. What? And he was very encouraging about music because his son was interested in music. And that's how we got Peter Frampton, too. Yeah. Peter Frampton uh, in the 70s looks like he had very encouraging parents. I think that's sweet. So uh, he started recording, and his self-titled first album did, like, zero business because it came up against Sgt. Pepper's in 1967. And his unrelated single called The Laughing Gnome did even worse. Uh, I had to throw that in there. That sounds like a place you drink in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. So with music not going well, he studied mime. Oh, uh, oh, no, it's not Sasha Baron Cohen. He's dead. He's dead. It's not Rowan Atkinson. It's a pretty good line. Mm-hmm. How about this? He he went back to music two years later, and his first hit was released a week before the moon landing. And that helped a lot. Oh, David Bowie. David Bowie? It is David Bowie! <laughs> oh, David 
David Bowie. I, Bowie. I apologize, English right. listeners. Right. And we have talked about him in Extras, Absolute Beginners, Last Temptation of Christ, where he plays Pontius Pilate. I think it's wonderful. Linguini Incident, Zoolander, The Prestige, and Labyrinth, of course. Is that, is that the case? Extras is like his last filmed appearance. In, it's one of his last, and I think that is the best episode of Extras. Yeah. That, that is whole it, Is that the scene. one where he's like showing his T-shirt? Uh, he wants to make sure his T-shirt showing the album is is going into the charity commercial uh no that's the guy from coldplay i think oh, okay that's who <laughs> yeah no david bowie is just having a chit chat with ricky gervais's character who's complaining about his successful but terrible tv show and david bowie ends up writing a song insulting him <laughs> well, and yeah. the whole bar oh, sings right, along right, right, right. <laughs> yes <laughs> that was hilarious it's yeah. so good Holy so Lord. as as an outro i'm gonna give you a couple of choices we have something from 1992 like, I Love to See Your Smile mm-hmm. by Shanice, which is on the charts this week and is very ninety. Yes, it's very moving into 1992, I think, but I think still it's, does 80s. It's sampled in something modern. Yeah, and Shanice, I'm sure. yeah. The, only, the only musical guest on Nickelodeon's Welcome Freshman. Really? No, nobody needs to know that. Yes. Yeah, no one needs to know. <laughs> or, you know, we could do some Bowie, but uh, we can always find excuses to do Bowie. Yeah. yeah I, or we could do something from Joyful Noise. I like don't love I love your smile but I love saying that even more so I choose that's where my vote goes Uh, seconded yeah easy times and we can all right it's an earworm though you're you're cursing some people here (laughs) (laughs) yeah while you listen to that subscribe tell a friend about the show and consider joining our patreon we'll give you a bunch of free stuff extra content we love you uh have let's 2022 is going okay so i don't want to curse it by saying anything else about it but it's it's great to be doing a new season for all of you with all of you thank you jr for coming aboard let's take us out shanice we'll see you next week I did hit the teacher. This